Welcome to Know Your Gear QA number 208. Nine. <laughs> it's 209. I'm pretty sure. Anyways, I hope you guys had a good week. And uh, I want to start with the first questions of the day. And these were um, questions that well, this one came early. This one was during the week uh, from a patron. And uh, the question was, I saw something interesting today. I never seen a Rickenbacker price in a catalog. They always say call for price. Today I saw prices for Rickenbackers. Rickenbackers. Actually, it's pronounced Rickenbacker. That makes so Rickenbackers in the new Sweetwater catalog. Um, so I don't, you know, I can only give a guess and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say that obviously Rickenbacker probably, and I'm pretty sure had a, uh, probably a policy that didn't allow, uh, retailers to, to publicly put out the price. There could have been a law that changes. Sometimes there's laws that change and now they don't have control of that. Could be Sweetwater just did it because they don't care. Uh, or it could be, believe it or not, because uh, sometimes uh, it was... Uh, the other thing that could happen is Rickenbacker could have a map policy, a minimum advertised price policy and say, hey, basically you are not allowed to sell this product or advertise this product for less than a certain price. And maybe the, the dealer was willing to do that. So let's say the Rickenbacker was like $2,500 and they say, look, you cannot post a price less than $2,499. And maybe Sweetwater is like, well, we're willing to sell them for like 23, but uh, let's, uh, we can't post that. So they'll say call for price. And when you call, they'll go, oh yeah, we'll do it for 23. Um, so maybe they're posting the prices because they're not willing to negotiate on them right now because they're epic sales. The epic sales is tapering. You're probably not hearing that, uh, but they are. I know uh, they're tapering. We can see it in the market. I talk with you guys all week, everyone in the industry from talking to companies on the phones or Zooms to talking to viewers, uh, Zooms or our customers are mine or viewers, right? Just interaction through emails and stuff. And uh, But mostly I have affiliate links. I, you can get a trend. I, you, know, you can get a pulse on the things. I'm definitely seeing what is now what I would call a slowdown in sales. However, before some of you get really excited with, woohoo, the prices are going to come down and I'm, uh, you have to understand there's no product. <laughs> that's the, that's the problem. So as, as, as what's probably going to happen in a lot of categories, and that's all speculation, but in this category, musical instruments, what I'm predicting, uh, what I think we'll see. And again, this is a guess because no one's really seen this. This is all unprecedented stuff. We're going to see as the demand drops, We'll see that the fact that the um, the availability or the the ability to get product is going to slightly rise, but right now still the availability is very low. So it doesn't matter the demand's dropping. If anything, demand's up here, availability's well down here. As the demand drops, it'll eventually just level out, and then eventually demand will go above low what availability is. Uh, so there you go. That's my, that's my thing. The problem with that is trying to figure out when that happens or how that happens is going to be very tricky. And it really doesn't pertain to you, the customer. It only pertains to the manufacturer and the seller. You don't want to be the person with a warehouse full of stuff when just everyone decides they'd rather go outside than buy another pedal or guitar. That's the, that's the scary part. Uh, you guys buying stuff. I mean, you'll just decide one day not to buy anything. <laughs> that's easy. It's, it's, you keep your money instead of spend it. But sellers are definitely going to be nervous uh, around that. So I don't know when that's coming, but it feels like it started a little bit uh, around now in the last month or so. Um, so that's just my question. Uh, let's see. Um, there was something else, uh, something I saw a comment maybe about. <laughs> 
maybe maybe not. I see Dovey Doss is here. He said first, I'm never going to be first on your comments, Dovey Doss. You release your videos before I get up in the morning. <laughs> that is the problem. I wake up and it says, oh, you just released a video. So you guys know Dovey Doss has nailed, uh, I think twice uh, he's been on my videos and he put the word first, meaning he was the first comment. Uh, I really want to to be first on one of his videos because uh, it, I have a competitive nature and it's driving me nuts. However, uh, the best I've done is like 22nd or something like that. And today I got 30th something, maybe 40th because he posted it two hours before I got up. That would also bring me, I don't know why, <laughs> to today's video. If you notice, I put out a video this morning called Five Moments in History for Distortion Pedals uh, for the uh, the Reverb Pedal movie. Um, I'll put a link. I don't have it right now, but if I'm sure some of the some of you guys will put a link, uh, some of the moderators and stuff, to the Pedal movie. If you want to rent it or buy it, it's up to you which one you do. I obviously, I got sponsored, so I, I got to see the movie free, which is really what I was after. I wanted to see the movie. It was freaking me out. Trust me. If if anyone ever asked you in the you know one day, hey, will you make a video if you get to see this video about pedals? You're like, yes. I realize that's how silly my brain is. It was as silly as that. Like, I'll get to see the movie what? And I got like three weeks before everybody else? Done. <laughs> I don't know why that was a big deal, but it was a big deal for me to see it as soon as I, as soon as I could. Um, I enjoyed it. I had a couple friends tell me they watched it today. Um, some said it was great. Some said it was boring. Everybody's going to have a different opinion about it. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's as nerdy as you can get uh, with just watching to, you know, hours of people talking about pedals. But I was able to do a video. Some other channels did a video. Obviously, Tyler Larson, Fluff, uh, Guitar Samurai, Aggiefish, to name just a few. Uh, Sarah Longfield, I'm, I'm missing someone, and I apologize if I miss anybody. But uh, but I have a link in that video to all those other videos. Um, I want to give a shout-out to... Uh, whoops. As my screen goes away, I apologize. Let me pull it up. As I, and now you're like... Who are you going to give a shout out to? I'm going to give out a shout out to uh, Mallory. Um, Mallory is the person at Reverb who contacted me and orchestrated this and helped all of us figure out which things we could talk about. I, I did a five things thing. Uh, Tyler Larson did the why the phaser is his favorite or the greatest pedal ever. Everybody got to do a subject and a thing, and she really helped orchestrate that. So it felt really cool. It was probably the coolest thing, funnest thing, I should say coolest. It's the funnest thing I've ever done on YouTube, that video, because it was, uh, I, I realize now I'm... I'm, uh, I'm, and this is all indulgent for me. I hope you guys can bear with me for a minute while I just tell you why I love this. Um, I realize now why that video feels so good to me. Basically, Reverb reached out and said, hey, we, we want to promote the new pedal movie. We want to send you a, a link to see the movie early. We want you to make a video. And I'm like, okay, about what? Reviewing the movie? I swear I thought that the video was going to be about review, reviewing the movie. And so I'm like, okay, I get it. You'll send me the movie and then I'll review the movie. Kind of like when a company sends a pedal or an amp and says, here, we'll send it to you and you review it. And instead they said, no, what we wanted you to do is just make content, make some something entertaining that pertains, you know, from the movie, what you got inspired by. The reason why I'm telling you on this tirade that I'm like drunk with that is it would be like if, uh, if somebody came with a new amp and said, hey, we will get, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, if you mention the new amp in a video to your to your viewers, we'll sponsor your video so you can make content about whatever you want. And I'll be like, oh, I can talk about how to make, you know, how to make something or do something. It was just really cool. I just want to share out that out. And I want to shout out to Mallory because it was just the best experience and they deserve it. Reverb deserves it for just being cool as hell. 
Okay. All right. I got to get back to work. <laughs> uh, okay. So next next comment question was with the first one of the day, and it was from Mr. Fancy Hands, and it said, uh, are modern production guitars still high enough quality to be considered guitars for life, or has the manufacturer's drive to bring costs down uh, compromised that? Um, no, guitars, look, I think we're all on the same page. And if we're not, maybe we'll all certainly get there. Guitars, we know the guitars are for life. All of them. Even the cheap guitars. They last forever. That's actually the sin of the cheap guitar. If the if there was going to ever be a negative about making a $100 or $200 guitar, obviously it's important that beginners have that instrument. It's that making a bad guitar is going to survive forever. It's going to be this bad thing that continues. And I'm not saying $100 and $200 guitars are, are bad. I'm just saying when they make a bad guitar, guitars just don't wear out. I mean, frets wear out, but it takes a lot of work. Those of you out here watching the show know that I, I mean, I do enough fret re, uh, refrets and, and crown levels enough each year to tell you what it takes. Uh, I love it. Everyone's very casual about this. Like, oh, you need stainless steel, otherwise you wear out frets. It takes a lot to wear your frets down. It's just not something you can just casually do in a year. Somebody's going to comment like, oh, Phil, you don't know. I wear my frets out every year. Yeah, you do. Some players do. I have I have I have customers that wear their frets out and they need a refret every year. But it not only does it take lots of playing, it takes lots of playing in the same chordal positions. A lot of those players have something in common. They play a lot, but they play a lot of the same thing. You gotta understand, just not playing just playing the guitar isn't going to wear frets out. Let me give you an example. So you learn Metallica this week, and next week you practice your chords, and two, and two weeks later you practice scales, and then you play, uh, you know, uh, Reba McIntyre songs, right? You know, you, you can understand all those different keys, all those different uh, scales, all those different places on the fretboard. They, they're creating wear, but it's really not the, the thing that's really wearing out divots in the frets. The things that wears out the divots, was, which is what we call cowboy chords or uh, patterns that where you're just playing that same pattern all the time. So usually musicians who play the same stuff a lot are who wear out the frets. All uh, players like Eddie Van Halen were notoriously known for wearing out frets. Why? Because they play a lot, but they also play the same songs. They're playing the same things. So it's just constantly hitting those same spots. And once you kind of wear out a spot, it's just going to get worse, especially if you're sweating on it and stuff. So the reason I, I tell you that is uh, this ties back into your comment with the inexpensive guitars and lifetime. It's Guitars generally do last a lifetime. So I don't think modern production is is going to affect that in a negative or positive way. I think guitars are going to be around. I think all modern production is doing is ensuring that a lot of those cheap guitars, price guitars, I should say, inexpensive guitars, whatever word doesn't piss you off because I just said a word <laughs> that you don't like. Um, <laughs> the the uh, the only thing a modern uh, production is going to do is ensure that those guitars get better, which is better which is good. Uh, that's why the guitars are getting so good inexpensively. I just had a, an experience. I had two experiences I'll probably share with you. One recently was a really interesting thing. I had a bunch of stuff, as sometimes you do. And I mean stuff literally in the idea of not like guitars or pedals or amps, just things, random things, musical pieces of gear that didn't seem to have any value to anyone. And the idea that, you know, you can post it on Reverb and watch it rot for a month or two. I took them on down to the Guitar Center because uh, Guitar Center looked like they were 
pretty hard up for used gear. Uh, I mean that in a positive and negative way. That's a good thing for, for the seller when the buyer is in, in desire for the market. They were willing to give 60% of what they'll sell stuff for. Ironically, I looked at this perfect storm of they're selling at the all-time high. They're going to give you 60% of the all-time high, and they want anything that you pretty much bring. So I bought them a bunch of stuff that just didn't seem anybody seemed interested in. So what happened was I didn't think. <laughs> not this part, the next part. So I brought it in and they were very nice. They they went looked on the counter and they they went through all the stuff and they gave me a price and they said, this is what you have. And I said, do you want a check or do you want like, you know, you're going to buy something? And I said, oh, I'll probably buy something. So I said, so just give me in-store credit, like give me a gift card. And um, without even thinking about it. And then I, because I figured, oh, I'm going to find something. Well, long story short, uh, Ralph was with me. We didn't find anything. Then we went to two other guitar centers who still didn't find anything. Well, me and Ralph went to one other one, and then I went to a third one on my own. Either way, I still didn't find anything. So I have this uh, credit at the guitar center. <laughs> uh, the reason I'm sharing that with you is for this uh, reason of uh, this. what happened that was really interesting was I found a American-made telly that was $1,600, and I thought I would buy that. I thought, oh, perfect. This is what I'll spend this credit on. So I have them get the guitar down and I pick it up and I play it. And I played it for about five, 10 minutes and I'm just not feeling it at all. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what it is. I don't know why I'm not liking this guitar. I don't know what it is. I love the way it looks. I have this credit. It's basically free money at this point because it's just stuff I wasn't going to, I had no value in. I put it back on the wall and for some reason I picked up a Squire dual humbucker, uh, classic, mine was a classic vibe, modern player. Loved it. It was fantastic. I even showed it to Ralph. And so, you know, the reason I'm telling you the story is, story is that guitar was better. It was better. Not kind of better, not as good. It was quality. It was a better playing guitar. Played better, sounded better. Just was better. It was a better guitar. It was $299 or $399, maybe $399. And um, so the reality is that's what's happening. The inexpensive guitars are going to eventually keep getting better and better. And the high-end guitars are not getting better and better. So at some point, this will all maybe equalize. I'm not sure. All I know is, man, if you're buying the inexpensive guitars, you're just winning and winning and winning. <laughs> Worldwide Go said those Squires are great. They are great. It was a fantastic guitar. I'll, I'll tell you, I didn't buy it, but only for one reason. It was a little heavier than I wanted on the guitar. It was a little heavier. Um, if it was about a half a pound lighter, I'd probably be like, yeah, this is what I like. The American one was lighter because it was a pine body, but, um, but I decided to, so I didn't do anything. <laughs> Actually, I bought strings. I bought strings and a pedal, but that's because of the pedal movie. I will warn you right now. I think I warned you guys before on the pedal movie. If you watch the pedal movie, it's going to make you buy some pedal. I don't know what pedal. It'll make you buy a pedal. I bought four. <laughs> Period. Through watching the pedal movie three times and then making the video about pedals, I ended up buying four pedals. So, be be weary. Okay. Um, okay, we got to go to the next question. The next question is from Hexacord. Hexacord says, what's the deal with Sweetwater? Okay. Sharpen your axe email. Okay, now... This, I saw this one, so I pinned it because I just, because in case it comes up later in the show. Uh, this happened with Guitar Center. Remember Guitar Center did a uh, Sharpen Your Axe uh, ad campaign? Um, and we talked about that. So apparently, I, I don't get the uh, Sweetwater emails, but uh, apparently all you do, because I got 
uh, dozens of texts and emails from everyone. Thank you for the screenshots uh, of letting me know. <laughs> I was I, so you know it actually. This is the first time I've ever had this happen. You scared the living shit out of me. Uh, I excuse excuse me for talking this way, but I literally thought something was going wrong because my phone would not stop freaking out. I wasn't sure what was going on, and I was getting all these messages, and then I was getting pictures, and I was like, okay, what's going on? And then I looked. Okay, so what happened was Sweetwater did a mass email out to their uh, to their customer base, which is all of us, and basically said uh, it says sharpen your axe, and then it says eight things to mod your guitar or whatever. Yeah. Um, so we talked about this with the guitar center. Look. Uh, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. I, I have no issues with that at all. I thank you guys uh, for telling me about it, I guess. I understand why you're telling me. I think you're letting me know, like, if they copy. They don't, I, I don't, I don't trademark or own. First of all, I don't even say sharpen your axe. Actually, sharpen my axe. That's first. Second, I'm just reiterating this one more time. First, I don't own sharpen your axe. I, I, I or don't use it. I use sharpen my axe, right? Uh, two, I didn't come up with it. A viewer came up with it. <laughs> they put it as a suggestion for a title of those videos and videos like that. And I, I've been using it since. So they gave it to me gracefully. I mean, I guess I could have trademarked it at that time. I did not. Uh, thirdly, I don't, I did not trademark it. It's not like know your gear where, uh, if you ever see uh, Sweetwater use know your gear and some stick figures, let me know because you know, That'll be a fun phone call to make with them. But <laughs> other than that, it doesn't matter. And like I said, trademarking for me is about protecting me, not protecting or not stopping other people from using my stuff. I don't really care. I, I know I probably should, but realistically, what I want is, like I told you, I trademark my Know Your Gear logos and stuff. It's because I sell merch with that logo on there. Obviously, I don't want I don't want anybody to stop me from doing that because <laughs> it's, it's, I developed it. So uh, so same thing with the uh, the you know, sharpen your axe. Uh, and like I said, and just like when I said with Guitar Center, could be, could be, they just had the idea and they don't, they're not aware of the channel. That's because that person did it. And I know I talked to Sweetwater and I work with them, but it doesn't mean I work with all departments. They have a marketing side. You know what I think? I think it's a reflection of you guys. We have a community and a community so big and so big that you guys put that out there and they, they go, Hey, that's what, that's what cool people are saying. Sharpen your axe. <laughs> so Guitar Center and Sweetwater. What's funny is I kind of feel bad that Sweetwater took it after Guitar Center took it. So, all right, there you go. We've talked about that. <laughs> let's go to some, let's go to some guitar questions. There got to be questions about actual guitars and gear. We have Greg. Greg's first question is, for the tip jar, thanks for all you do. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate that. And that brings us to Nick's. Nick's question says, hey, Phil, what do you think about the PRS-S2 single cut all mahogany? Uh, which bridge humbucker should pair with the Duncan Fat Cat neck pickup? If you guys don't know what the Duncan Fat Cat is, it's Dunk Seymour Duncan's uh, P90 pickup. They call it the Fat Cat. It's got a row of six slugs down the center of it, and it essentially is, or they're not slugs, but they're, you know, the, the magnets. Um it's a P90. It's a humbucker shaped P90. Um, I personally, in that guitar, well, first, I like the S2 single cut. I have one. Mine's a semi hollow. Love it. I love it as much as every PRS I own except for Nathan's. See how, not that. That's not Nathan's. That's what Nathan made for me. Um, that's special. That's, a, I mean, let's be honest. That's not having to do with PRS. That guitar is just a special guitar. Other than that, special guitar. My S2 PRS is as good as all my 
other crazy PRSs. <laughs> it's, it, it, I just like it as much. And it has flaws. Uh, it has, I, I think I've told you this. I have, uh, what happens sometimes on the PRS is I got lifted uh, a spot on the side. You get a little milky line where you get a lift. That happens. It's a. It's why PRS went sh- switched to nitrocellulose lacquer. It, it, it sucks, but it's one of those things. It's, it's, you take that with, I don't know. I don't know what you do. You just, if it bothered me, I'd have it fixed. <laughs> I just, it doesn't bother me. Um, cause I beat that guitar up. I, I was lucky enough. I bought that S2 semi hollow. I think I'm into it for like 700 bucks and at 700 bucks for an American made semi hollow guitar. I just can't beat that guitar. And that's why I literally beat that guitar. Uh, but anyways, back to, uh, that guitar and your question, if I had a fat cat in the neck of that guitar, even though that's a semi hollow, it's still the same type guitar. I would put the Seth lover in the bridge. That would be what I would probably put in the bridge. I think that would pair nice. I think when you're switching, uh, the P90 is going to have a lot of punch and, uh, and that Seth lover will be smooth and warm and it'll be, it'll balance out nice. So that's if you don't want to put another fat cat in the bridge. Uh, Bruce says Friedman B E mini looks great. So if you guys don't know, obviously I talked about it on the channel. You guys have been driving me crazy in a very positive way. When I say drive me crazy, I mean in a positive loving way. You guys have been mentioning, Hey Phil, what about those mini amps you talked about? So now the cat's out of the bag. There is a bunch of mini amps coming. Uh, obviously you see the Freeman B E mini. It's a 30 watt class D amp. I think it's imported. I don't think it's, it's 329. So I'm assuming they didn't make it in California. I'm assuming it's imported. Um, amplifier. And so if you guys are aware of the fact that Friedman amps like Wampler pedals and stuff are made by B are by boutique amp distribution, boutique amp distribution manufactures a lot of brands like Wampler, uh, Friedman, uh, they do the Bogner pedals. They do Saldano, they do Tone King amps. They do, uh, Ignator if they're still making that, but they, they own that brand Synergy. Um, they do, I think they do the diesel pedals. I think that one's a guess. I do Matthews effects, uh, they used to do the 65 amp pedals, but I think they stopped. Um, so long story short, you get the idea. They make a lot of products. So you can imagine why I was telling you guys, if you're looking at the H and K, uh, heads and those type of mini heads, the BE mini now is available if you want that. And of course there's other ones coming at some point, I would imagine as well. I saw, uh, where they, I saw some stuff on the internet where they talk about exactly that. There's like a Saldano or a, uh, you know, Ingalls and, diesels and other amps so we'll see if when they when they release those but this will be you'll collect them all <laughs> like they're like pokemon of amps so um so there you go so uh, if that's the question i put out a uh, a question to all of you viewers today uh on through the youtube channel if you thought i should buy the be mini and review it i will have to look at updated uh things the last i looked which was right after i posted it it looked like the majority of you didn't seem to give a crap about the amp uh, i thought the idea was cool it's not something I personally would buy or use in the idea that I don't need a little portable head or amplifier. I have something like that, but I love the idea of it. It looks cool as hell. I like it. Um, so uh, that's why I asked you if you, because I wouldn't buy it for me personally. I would buy it just to, re- to review it. Uh, <laughs> just because Max says, does Phil only answer super chat questions? No, but now you just wasted that question on that. Uh, <laughs> and you didn't do a question mark first, but I just, you caught my eye. I, uh, Mac, to answer your question, dude, I, I usually things catch my eye or I'm scanning and I see that super chats are really bright and colorful and they take up a big chunk and that's why, uh, you know, they, they pop and they'll, they're easy to grab. Um, 
What else? Uh, Mr. Fancy Hands said, what is the PRS in the top left? Not one Nathan. Top left. You've got to be talking about my Mira. That's my main guitar uh, for years. That's my PRS Mira guitar. So Nathan's guitar was is what I use now. It's funny that they're there. If I was only going to keep two PRSs, these would be the two I'd keep for sure, without even a question. And because of the sentimental nature, nature of Nathan's, I would pick Nathan's first. But the Mira was first until Nathan decided one day I'm going to make it to where <laughs> I'm going to make Phil want that guitar better. Okay, Sean Brooks. Great question. Uh, amazing question, actually, Sean, uh, for me. <laughs> it says, Phil, I bought a hollow body SE standard after checking out your review, and I love it. Is the core that much better, or am I chasing a ghost? Sean, I did gear math. If you guys don't know, I'm, uh, gear math is that if something at $100 uh, is good, then something at $200 is twice as good. That is gear math. Gear math is a lie. Sometimes, sometimes it's a lie. Sometimes it's the truth. But in this case, it's not. So, um, Sean, I, I legitimately loved the hollow body two I, Paizo. Now, I liked both of them, but I like the Paizo better. No reason why. Just uh, physically, of those two guitars I demoed and reviewed, that one just felt better. Uh, not the specs, but the physical that one guitar. I don't want you to get confused that I was, you know, I'm comparing the two models. I'm comparing those two physical guitars. Guitars sometimes have a uniqueness to them. I absolutely loved that hollow body to uh, Paizo guitar. Uh, and I mean love. And I don't use those words. It's not, that's not my channel. I don't be like, this guitar is the greatest guitar ever. Best thing I ever tried. I love this. I use those words very sparingly. <laughs> um, I love that guitar. I love that guitar so much that Gear Math made me buy this. This is my hollow body 2 core. That's a, a PRS core hollow body 2. Um, so I bought that. That was my birthday present to myself last year. I had to sell nine guitars to buy that stu stupid guitar. Uh, stupid meaning it's cool, but stupid meaning nine to one. Nine guitars, now I have one guitar. I really like it. I do not like it more than my PRS Hollow Body SE, which is why I still have the SE. I still play the SE. I don't regret buying the Hollow Body Core because it's, it's a beautiful piece of art is what it is, and it plays nice. I will keep it a long time because it's a beautiful guitar and I have no reason to get rid of it. But uh, I thought, man, it's got to be 10 times better. It's not better in any way. It's different. It's a different instrument and it has a different sound and a different feel. What I will tell you that no one seems to disagree with me, uh, meaning my friends when they come over, the acoustic on the SE sounds far superior to the core and my understanding from Jack Higginbotham from PRS is that the new acoustic piezo system in the uh, SE was uh, re redone and is improved. So, yeah. So that's my long way of saying don't buy the core. <laughs> I did your mistake for you. I would have not done it. Uh, if I, if I could have walked in the store in the like the old days and picked up the hollow body se and the hollow body prs and played the two i would have loved both like i do now but i would have picked the se and then walked out so now i have both esteban esteban he says phil what bases do i have i own only about three or four bases and I say only, that's still a lot, but three or four bases. I have a Fender custom shop, custom made jazz bass. Have you ever seen me play this orange metallic 
jazz bass with a smaller body. That is a custom bass uh, that I have. Uh, I've had that since 2003. I want to say I bought it in 2003. That is my main bass. It gets 90% of my playing time. And for the sake of this argument, I'm going to say 85% just to make things make sense. I play that bass 85% of the time. The other bass I have is behind me. It's slightly out of shot. shot. I don't know if I can... There it is. There is a Stuham Urge 1 bass Proto. So it's one of the prototype ones. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's a 32-inch scale bass. I play that 5% of the time. <laughs> and then the other bass is a custom-made Warwick 32-inch scale bass that was made specifically for me. Uh, it's by far... it's. It's the most expensive bass I own. It's more expensive than all, all the other basses combined. And um, I play that the other 10% of the time. And I know what you're thinking. That's 100%. What about the other bass? I don't I don't play the other bass. I have like a Firma bass, and I think I have a short scale bass. They, they just literally literally never get played. I play bass every day, and I play the either the Jazz or the Warwick, depending on what I'm doing. Um, the, the reason it's that way, so you know, is because at, at home, at home, that's how I play. I play the, the jazz and then the Warwick. When I gig out, n- 90, it would flip. 90% of the time, I take the Warwick. Because I had it made specifically so I could gig without an amplifier. It's got a, uh, a built-in preamp and stuff in it that I can just run into a PA. Uh, Andres J89, Phil, would I retolex? Would you? He means me. Phil, would you retolex a newly bought amp worth two grand? No. <laughs> I, I say no because I, I've thought about it like you. I've I've bought amps and I go, oh man, I should get it redone in this cool thing, and I I never do it. Uh, so no, the answer is no. Uh, and the main reason I should tell you is if I played out, if I was like, you know, 20 years ago and maybe when I was playing out and people cared about your backline look of your amps, by the way, that doesn't exist anymore. No one, no one, not even musicians care anymore. <laughs> you know, but back then having your amp behind you look a certain way or be a certain way was important. Uh, then maybe I would pay to have an amp, you know, decorated or made to look really cool. But no, I'm not doing it just so I can go, wow, that amp looks great. <laughs> um and then Targa44 says, hey, Phil, how is the neck on the Sterling Axis uh, compared to the USA Axis? It's slightly chunkier, just slightly amount. Um, so uh, if you don't like, uh, here's how I'll put it and makes life easy for you if you're thinking about contemplating getting one. If you played the USA Axis and you don't like how small that neck is, the Sterling, I think, is uh, is going to make you happy. It's a little chunkier, a little rounder, same carve, same thing, just size-wise, thicker. Um, if you love the Made in the USA Axis, um, I, I don't know if you're going to love the Sterling, but I know it's not so different that you'll be like, this is horrible. This is not even the same thing. It's just going to feel a little chunkier too. Me, out of the two, I preferred the Sterling Axis, which is why I got rid of my USA Axis. <laughs> I decided that uh, I like the Sterling better than the US. And uh, neck wise for me, it's just a choice of how it feels. So the, uh, and, and ironically, uh, the PV USA that I have neck feels more like that, uh, Sterling access, which is a little chunkier, a little nicer for me. Okay. Uh, let's do some, let's do some 
Well, let's go back over the Super Chats real quick and let's hit some of those as I refresh this stuff. Okay, here, here's what we have next. What do we have next? I have a feeling... Smelly Cats Jazz! Hey, buddy! I guess Smelly Cat Jazz can go... I guess you can call anybody a buddy. I'm going to call you a buddy. Uh, it says, I'm looking at the... Uh, Noventa, I don't know how to say it. Noventa Strat. I don't, I don't, I'm sure it means Noventa Strat. Noventa. Looks like, I want to Strat prices. I'm thinking of a cheaper alternative would to drop a pair of P90s in the, uh, in a backup player. Would that work without routing? Uh, okay. It depends on the Strat. So let's get to the core of the question. You want to stick some P90s in a Strat. That's really what we want to talk about. Um, the made in Mexico Strats, the old, standard series the routes were pretty pretty huge and i never installed p90s in one of those guitars because you need the also you need the bracket that lets you mount a p90 to a pick guard so you're going to make sure you got to get the bracket for p90s um i don't they're obviously wide enough this way uh but not on wide enough side to side when i'm saying i they're not i don't know i'm saying i'm sure they are this way i just don't know if they're wide enough side to side the new players um uh, made Mexico strats and the new American strats are not going to be wide enough. My guess uh, for the P90s is going to be, especially because you got to put those brackets in there. Those brackets are wider. You got to understand a P90 and a strat is wider than a P90. There's literally a metal bracket that goes underneath. That's what the P90 mounts into. And then the bracket comes up. It's basically a big uh, U bar. And then the screws go on the side. So you have to have more with than that so you will have to probably route and that's just a guess but it's a pretty educated guess of what you're gonna have to do if you do that uh there is alternatives and the alternative is you can use like Seymour Duncan quarter pounders which are going to sound very p90-esque for sure uh they'll get you in that range if that's what you uh care about and then of course at that point you could also just put in uh there's mini humbuckers that are p90 styled and there is also humbuckers like the fat cats and that are humbucker shaped p90s those will definitely fit into most of those strats because the most strats are going to be h s h routed underneath and you'll be fine so you just need a pick card things to be aware of <laughs> there you go mathis he he super chatted just to tell you guys all to hit the thumbs up button please hit the thumbs up button that's really nice of him to do that um he you know that's very kind i i, I don't usually solicited as much as i should though um so thank you for that man that was really kind of you uh nicole wants to know what's my favorite uh, speaker cab these days um i still like my mojo tone cabinet um the only thing that's changed to my mojo ca tone cabinet which i have a video on a usual cabinet is that had mojo tone vintage 30s in it that still has the vintage 30 at the bottom but i now added a greenback to the top uh, and the main reason is because when I'm miking for videos, I can mic either speaker and it gives me two different sounds and sometimes it's nice. I also have a, a um, I'm looking, I also have a 112 cabinet that I use that's pine with a V30 in it that I use that's uh, very basic for videos, but that's pretty much it. I pretty much use that Mojo, Mojo tone cabinet for so many things. It's why I had it made. It's just, it keeps things easy for me. Okay. Um, uh, De 
I have no idea, man. The Bawata Wakaka? <laughs> you know, it's not me. Sometimes people are like, oh, you guys, you need to learn how to pronounce stuff. I'm like, the, the, how do you pronounce Dabba Wakataka? Wataka Wa. Dub Dabba Tawaka. Ah, maybe that's it. Dabba Tawaka. I'm going to say, it's probably not even close, but it sounds right. It says, at one point, you mentioned you were going to do a video about why guitar's weight is important. Did I miss that, or is it still in the works? Uh, oh, don't try to pronounce my name. It will hurt your brain. It already hurts my brain, Dubba Tawaka. Uh, so, uh, the uh, uh, yes, that video was going to be my guitar collection video uh, sponsored by Sweetwater. Um, it's still going to happen. I just didn't. <laughs> It's not me. I, I, I got to. Okay, it is me. I'll take the onus on this. Uh, Sweetwater said that they would like to sponsor a video if I would do like, uh, you know, why I, I why all my guitars weights and why that's important. It's a really cool video. I think it's really insightful, not just to see my collection, but to see some thoughts and why I think the industry has moved this way. Remember 20 years ago, no one even really cared. Uh, and, and what I mean by that was nobody was weighing guitars 20 years ago and putting that out there. Uh, and I know that because uh, I remember we used to weigh guitars all the time in the shop and no one had ever heard of that when we were doing it. Um, so uh, the reason it didn't happen was uh, they said they sponsored a video and then I never heard back from them. I, I need to follow up with them. It's not their fault. Sometimes, you know, they're a big company and they don't, they, don't, they don't have time to follow, find all the little ants out there like me and what we're doing. So I need to uh, email them back and get that all set up. I will do it this weekend because of you, Dubba Tawaka. I actually love that name, so you know. Even though I'm not saying it right, I love it. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, hmm. Uh, this question was, uh, what is my favorite guitar of all time? Uh, that is an impossible question. Of all time? I don't know. Obviously, you know, I'm probably going to say like Nathan's guitar he made for me. Um, but realistically, what's my favorite guitar of all time? I don't know. Uh, it, it, the, every answer would just be whatever I think right at this moment. <laughs> and it's, uh, I, uh, what is your guys' guitar, favorite guitar of all time? You guys should tell me and then I'll tell you, you know, then I'll be able to read them and see how, see if any of us have the same common interest. Um, okay. Um, okay. Antonio says, Phil, I love the show. So glad I'm watching live. Are you installing the Evertune in your Gibson? No. So I told you Sean's handling it for me and that ended up with uh, Evertune was kind enough to uh, offer to loan me, I think, a Strat or a Tele with an Evertune in it. Uh, Sean uh, sent me things and that's what he talked to with Evertune and said, would I be interested in that? And um, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, my fear is it makes me nervous. I think what he said was, and I'm going off the verbiage of what I was told. I think he said like somebody at Evertune would loan me their personal guitar or something like that is what I got from that. It's like some kind of guitar Evertune owns and they'll send it to me as a loaner. And if you guys seen my videos, <laughs> so I'm assuming some of you guys seen them, I like to look and take things apart and mess with things. And I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't feel comfortable 
like an Evertune bridge, I want to get into that guitar and look at everything. I don't want to take somebody's loner guitar apart. Uh, uh, it's too much, I don't want to say stress, but it is kind of too much stress. I don't want to be doing anything. So, um, so the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. But yes, was I willing to? Yes, I was willing to send a Gibson Les Paul and have them put an Evertuning bridge in it. Um, uh, it doesn't seem to... Uh, uh, if that's something that... Look, I'll do it. Like, I mean, I'm obviously, I'm putting money into that. The, and I said this before. I'm only going to put so much. I paid $1,600 for my Gold Top Les Paul. It's a Gold Top Les Paul standard. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, but that's it. What I'm going to say that I'll do it. I'll like, I'll, I'm forking out my guitar. I'm not going to pay for everything else. It, the video will never make anything. Uh, even if the video went viral, it wouldn't even pay just what I have into the guitar. So, you know, there's only so much I can physically do on a channel. Um, it's not like guitar magazines and stuff where they have this, you know, advertising budget to do stuff. I don't have that. So, um, so if I figure out an angle to do it, I'll do it. You know what I mean? To do something cool. But I think that would be really cool because I would love to take a Les Paul and then have them put a bridge in it and then the guitar never goes out of tune. <laughs> that would be cool. Um, uh, I'm going to say Mr. Gar Garcia. Garcia says, hi, I have three guitars with Evertune. They became my favorite, my go-to. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I have friends, same same thing. My buddy Jack uh, loves his Evertune. He's an uh, endorsed artist with ESP and I think Evertune and he loves them. And I've seen them in action with him. I've seen them in action with other friends and they're fantastic. Um, there's no question in my mind that Evertune is cool for some players. My question is, is Evertune cool for me? Am I going to like Evertune? And uh, and then by by definition, would players out there that play or think like me want an Evertune? The only complaint, the only negative I have about Evertune is I feel like, and it's not a negative, it's, well, it's a negative. The negative for me is I feel like only heavy metal metal players play Evertunes. I see very few other genres of music playing the Evertune. And so um, I would love to see Evertune more diverse. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's in, in the players and the guitar selections it's it's doing. Yeah, Rich says his Evertunes are wonderful. I'm yeah, again, no question about the Evertune in that uh people like it. I'm just curious if I I would like it. Mr. Fancy Ann says, Can anyone explain Evertune to me? Yeah, you're you you basically uh your guitar never goes out of tune. See? Evertune. You're forever in tune. That's not what people like or dis are. That's not what people dislike if they dislike an Evertune. It's not, no one dislikes the fact that they're not in tune. There's other things about the bridge that are worth talking about, which is it's heavy. It also has some weird things going on with it, with the fact that sometimes when you do bins, sometimes they don't feel the same way. Something like there's these are the questions I'd like to answer is not, there's no question if you just told me like, Hey, Phil, I could wave a wand on any one of these guitars and they never go out of tune. I'd be like, yeah, sold. What do it. But if you said, Phil, I'll wave a wand and none of these guitars ought to go out of tune, but they're going to be slightly heavier and they're going to feel a little different when you play, then you get a little apprehensive. Now now that's where you're... See, and then like uh, Brian's saying, but if you want to, to tune down a half step, you're stuck. See, that's what I'm saying. This is why you need I need that bridge in a guitar that I can just abuse for a few weeks and like kind of like the I bought the Tone Master amp. I love my Tone Master amp. I play it all the time. I love it. 
But if you saw my video, even though I love it, I didn't go, man, I love the Tone Master app. You need to buy one too. I, I, I did what I think was very practical. Here are 10 things that are going to be issues you're going to have with it if you buy it. And here's 10 things you might like about it. And not all those 10 things applied to anybody. Some of them didn't apply to anybody. That's what I'd like to do Evertune Bridge. It's like, hey, I bought an Evertune and here's five reasons why if you bought this, you'll be happy. And here's five things you might not enjoy about that bridge. I, I want to give you a, a balanced reaction to it. Um, what I will tell you is it keeps coming up on the podcast, the Evertune thing. Uh, Max, and then we'll get off the subject just because it's getting long. Uh, Max says Evertune is basically a floating bridge. Yeah, but it's like a floating bridge for each one of your strings. Each string has its own little mechanism. So, yeah, and see, now you guys are explaining the rules. There's all kinds of rules. I That's another thing, too. I've had friends. I might have friends. I have friends that, like I said, love them. And then when I say, ask them a question about it, they go, well, see, what you got to get used to is, and I go, right, I don't want to do a video where I unbox an Evertune and go, it's great or it's not great. I want to actually spend some time with it so I can be versed in it as well. Um, tone hug. <laughs> I don't even know what this is. What is this? Tone hug. Tone hug. That's the best name ever. We're going to stay with that instead of Zin Harmony. Tone Zug says, Tone Hug, not Hug Zug. Tone Hug says, uh, have an In-N-Out burger any style. If I did, it would be protein style. And I'm not a big In-N-Out burger fan. Does that, has that come up before? <laughs> I'm I'm originally was born in California. I live in Arizona pretty much my whole life. But like, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah. That's a thing, like, I know, like, you can upset a lot of people because there's, like, In-N-Out Burger freaks. Let me put it this way. I don't wait in line ever at In-N-Out Burger. If we ever go buy one we need, and we're stopping there and there's a line of any kind, I'm like, yeah, it's not worth the line for me. But, so I tell you that tone hug to tell you that I'm probably not going to buy that In-N-Out Burger with that super chat. Um... <laughs> uh, Five guys. No, we're not going to talk about burgers, but if we did, it'd be five guys. All right. Uh, Dan Brown says, what is the most shocking, horrible mod or repair that I have come across? Uh, hope you have a great weekend. Um, modifications. Uh, that's, you know, and I'm not thinking of it as a repair. I'm thinking of it as a modification. What's the craziest thing I've seen? Um, I've seen some pretty crazy ones, uh, modifications. Uh, I've seen some people shove some weird stuff electronically in their guitars, you know, uh, 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 taken apart like a metal zone pedal, no exaggeration, by the way, and shove it into a guitar. Um, <laughs> I've seen that. I've seen, um, I've seen, uh, um, what's another crazy mod that I've seen, but it's usually always electronic stuff. People do really, really weird things with electronic stuff. Uh, trying to shove there's like so, I, everybody always for some reason gets this weird idea like man you know what would make my guitar better if i stuck all these electronics in there and make all these sounds so uh that one was a, a a crazy one a fuzz circuit in one um hmm that's about it i mean i've seen some weird tuning stuff that's not really modifications though i've had some some guitar players uh, like I've had, I've seen people take the nut off the guitar, create a new nut and add two strings and create like a one bait. One guy made a, his, his low, low string was a, a low E bass. Oh no, it was an A, sorry, low A string bass. And then underneath it, so it was A, then E underneath it. And then he would have five strings of guitar. 
uh, so he could do walking bass lines. Uh, I couldn't get my head wrapped around it, but he played it amusing, uh, amazingly, by the way. He did walking bass lines and jazz stuff and it was fantastic, but it was the craziest thing. And then what he did was he made uh, different pick, you know, two different pickups and then isolated them to two different outputs so that the bass part could go through his bass amp and the guitar part through go through his guitar amp. That was a pretty crazy mod I saw uh, that he did. And he had a whole theory. And he put a lot of time not only in doing the mod, but into the theory of the music behind that. This was early and on, on enough to where I didn't take pictures all the time like I, I kind of do now. When I see stuff like that now, I always take pictures and I have archives of it. Uh, unfortunately, that predates that. That's at least 15 years ago. Um, or 12 to 15 years ago. Uh, we have Dan says, hey, oh no, that was Dan. Vipe. Uh, Vite. Vite says, is it better to leave my amp on through the day rather than turning off Turning them off and on multiple times. Both tube, one has standby switch. Okay, so both tube amps, one has a standby switch. Is it better to leave them on or turn them off? No, turn them off. It doesn't matter. Uh, the The main issue with turning your amps off and turning them on is it has to do with extreme temperatures. So when you, like, I'll tell you why the standby thing that's really important for standby is like, let's say your amp's really cold. That's the problem. Let's say you come in from the outside and it's snowing and your amp's really cold. You turn on the amp. You want to turn on the amp, but not the standby because you want to wait. Because you, when you hit that standby switch, you're going to be shooting some electricity across those tubes. And if they're cold, there's all kinds of problems. But no, and you don't need to leave the amp on. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. Uh, it doesn't hurt it either way, really, if you think about it. I mean, the only downfall is I couldn't argue that leaving the tubes on is going to help them if you're concerned like maybe every time you turn on and off the amp you're you know decreasing the life of your tubes it's like a you know thinking like a car like every time i start the car i'm wearing down the starter you know what i mean versus you know maybe leaving the amp on i wouldn't worry about it none of my friends that are amp builders have told me ever to worry about that so i'm not worried about it gear sounds says uh when the helix or multi-x Oh, when is the Helix or Multi-Effects video coming? Please mention my gear YouTube inspired by you. Okay, You're, he's talking about his YouTube channel. So I'm saying Gear Sounds is the channel. So he's saying mention that. We'll have to check out his channel. Uh, met you at the shop, and I hope you love the page. Oh, cool. So um, I'll check out the, the the page, the Gear uh, the gear Sounds. Uh, I don't have a Multi-Effects video coming. I know we talked about... No, maybe back in the day we talked about that. I, I think I talked about doing a Helix video, but the Helix video is never going to come to fruition because I decided I did not like the Helix. What I ended up doing, it's funny, it's right here. What I did is I sold my Helix and I bought the Stomp. Uh, so the the way, it, that's how I did it. Um, why? Because I love this and I'm not exaggerating. Like I, I love this thing. I use this uh, very regularly. Um, I love the Helix Stomp or the, what's well, the HX Stomp? but you know what I mean. Love this. Do not love the Helix. Why? Because the Helix is huge and I don't need a giant processor with 50 sounds. Um, what I need is this with like four sounds <laughs> and I can achieve a lot of things with that. And I'm really happy. Uh, for instance, uh, I did some videos out in a cabin. There's two videos. One I did with the, um, uh, Toast and Abbasi guitar, the Abbasi guitar, and one I did with a Donner guitar. If you watch those two videos, I'm in the middle of nowhere in this beautiful cabin uh, in Arizona. So it's very Arizona looking. Some people are going to say it's beautiful. Some people are not. Depends on how you feel about how the desert looks to you. 
Um, those videos, I think I say in those videos too, those videos are both recorded with this thing, <laughs> which this thing made those videos possible. I would not haul amps, mics, and all that stuff to, to the cabin. So I was able to take this and those products and make some videos. So this is what I use. Um, you'll see me mention it sometimes. I keep bringing it back up. The Helix Stomp. You'll, you'll see me mention it sometimes. If I don't have access to uh, amps and stuff, I'll, I can use this. So I uh, love that. But yeah, I have no intention to do that other thing. I have the more GE300 and uh, it's cool, but I don't like it as much as the HX Stomp. That may be a video if you want a video like that, but I wouldn't be a technical video. It would be more like why I prefer the sounds on the HX Stomp to the features of the GE300 because that's what it is. The GE300 for the same price, I think, has way more features, but I like the sounds slightly more on the HX Stomp. So it's a features versus sounds issue for me. Uh, Audiomo Music says, UPS lost my Gibson Dove. I shipped it to... I shipped to myself in a cross-country movie, oh, move, and it, and won't honor my insurance since it was dropped off at UPS store. What do I do? Um, so I want to make sure I understand your problem. You shipped, you shipped a guitar to yourself. So you're the sender and the receiver, okay, which is important to understand. And you did it at a UPS store. The reason they won't honor the insurance is because it was dropped off at a UPS store. So here's where you, I use a UPS store a lot. So here's what I will tell you about my experience with UPS stores and the FedEx uh, kiosk, not kiosk, uh, what do you call it? Kinko's. Get a receipt. If please, I hope you have the receipt. If you have a receipt, it's their problem. If you don't have a receipt, it's tough. Um, but uh, uh if you dropped it at the UPS store, I would actually talk to the owner of the UPS store. They're franchise. Don't confuse UPS stores with UPS. They are different. UPS stores are a franchise. So Kinko's, if you understand the concept, Kinko's FedEx, which is Kinko's FedEx, is FedEx. So if you go to a Kinko store that says Kinko's FedEx and drop off your FedEx or deal with FedEx or buy FedEx, you are dealing with FedEx, the company. If you go to a UPS store, you are doing you are you are doing business with a third party, a a subcontractor, a a um, what do you call it? A um, uh, a um, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. A uh, franchise. I'm sorry, a franchise of UPS. So this is what I've learned over the years with dealing with both those entities and shipping and doing stuff is don't um, don't. So if you dropped it at UPS and was lost at UPS store, talk to UPS store first, okay? That's where I would start. And then somebody mentioned, don't you have a credit card receipt? Same thing. You have a credit card receipt, you can take it to the UPS store. Like I said, but talk to the owner. There'll be an owner of that UPS store. The UPS store I deal with, uh, the owner owns three of them, and I've talked to the owner, and every time I've talked to the owner, I got something done. You got to understand, the employees are employees, man. They... You know, they pay them like minimum wage and uh, they help you as much as they can, but they have a little authority. So you want to get the owner. So I'd get the owner of that UPS store to help you out. And I wish you luck because it's still not fun. Chad says, was there a kind of aha moment during the pedal movie, like a snippet? of info that just made something click in your head. Yeah, the video I made today is my aha moment. 
it, it literally was the I, I edited it out of the video <laughs> this one little clip let me I actually scripted it no I actually wrote it down this is what inspired the video uh, but I and it was in the video but I took it out um, it was uh, pedals are like a sound canvas is what I said but this is the important part I said so why would anyone so when it's distortion pedals was the aha moment it said why would anyone buy a pedal that does something that the amp already does on their own and that's what got me excited with the movie was I never thought about it when they, when they were showing the movie and they were talking about distortion pedals, not overdrive pedals, not fuzz pedals, but distortion pedals and what they did for us. And I'm like, I, I really got excited about that. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I love this. I love this part of the movie. I like this. It makes a lot of sense to me. It's like, because as a pedal person, I wish as a, at my pedal side of my brain, I wish I was more like pedal players what i mean by that is a lot of pedal pedal people who are like pedals say that a lot of people who like pedals no a lot of pedal players like phasers and waz and and you know chorus and laser sounds and uh you know and synths and all that stuff and i buy some of those pedals and then i just i just get bored very quickly almost all of my pedals fall into two categories overdrives which are things that i put in front of my amp for either low distortion or to help the amp distort or distortion boxes really what i'm interested in when i say pedals and that's what the aha moment in the pedal movie was is that some to some people pedals are these things that they add to the amp to make different sounds or or get different tones uh different you know sonics sounds and some people are like me where Pedals are really just like if I was, I guess if I was a millionaire and I was super rich and I didn't care, I'd have 50 amps. Well, I can't have 50 amps. So I have, you know, six or seven amps and 50 pedals that sound like the other amps. So I can't own every Marshall. So I have like three or four different Marshall clone pedals that give me the Marshall sounds. So, so that was the aha moment was that even though distortion boxes didn't seem like a big deal when I started thinking about when I watched the movie going, wow, they are a big deal. To me, they are. They're really important. So, you know, the other thing that happened in the movie that really was really cool for me was uh, when I did my video, I talked about the fact that my first pedal ever was the DOD American Metal. I bought one. <laughs> it's on its way right now. I bought a DOD American Metal in box, like, oh, not, oh, you know, it's used, but it, with the original box and everything. And here's why. Um, that was my very first pedal, and it's been uh, decades since I've played that pedal, I played that pedal. I so I'm trying to remember the timeline, and I'm before I do the video, I'll probably get the timeline hopefully accurate. I bought the pedal when I was 16 years old. Okay, so I bought a DoD American Metal pedal when I was 16. I'm pretty sure it was gone by the time I was 18. So I didn't keep it that long because you know I got a Digitech DSP21. That's like what I went to next. Um, so here's what's important about that: I haven't heard or played this pedal since I was at least 18 years old. So I'm going to be doing an unboxing reaction video to see what do I think of the very first pedal. And I mean, and so, you know, that's my first distortion circuit I ever, ever played in my life. I'm curious, and I I don't know if anyone will care, but I'm curious, will I still like it? Did I get it right? Like, you know, should I still stay, should I still stay with that pedal or is it horrible? And you know what I mean? So I don't know. I thought it'd be fun. Uh, so there you go. I don't know. I thought it was funny. Uh, I don't know. Nathan says I should have Tom Cram, uh, from DOD on the live show. Uh, maybe I sh should. It's not really a, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, it's not really a pedal show, but 
that pedal show. We can't be that pedal show. We got We can be a pedal show, though. Um, yeah, but like I said, let me find out if I still like the pedal. That might be a slightly more awkward video. <laughs> Uh, I've owned one DOD. Well, I like the DOD envelope filter, so I guess we'd be okay there. I was going to say, I've owned one DOD pedal and I don't even know if I like it anymore. Um, we have, the next one is from Joseph who says, Hey Phil, what splittable humbuckers would you recommend for upgrading Harley Benton single cut custom two copy of the ESP clips aiming for something like a Gibson classic 57s? Uh, if you like the Gibson Classic 57s, and I'm assuming you're you're trying to stay within, then the Seth Lovers would also get you in that range as well. And you can get those coil splittable. 59s, I think, are going to sound a little darker and a little bit more push and a little darker than the 57s, Classics by Gibson. But those are also really cool as well if you're looking for something like those. Um, I do know... Um, I was going to say, I do know that the... Maybe the DiMaggio paths will also get you there in that 57 range. But again, a little bit more output, just a little bit more push and a little darker. So I would probably go Seth Lovers. Rob Baker. Hey, what's up, Rob? Rob says, I picked up a 2003 SG standard and the bridge inserts lift out with no friction. Uh-huh. Do I need to do the paper glue trick or is uh, or is the string tension enough? Tailpiece is solid. Um, so he's referring to, I did a video where I showed you how you can use paper and glue to kind of fill in those uh, those holes. You can also use Teflon plumber's tape. Uh, that's another one that's real common. The issue is I think the Teflon tape is more, less permanent. The, the, the paper glue thing will literally kind of fill in like wood over time and it'll get harder as it sits uh, where the Teflon tape never really hardens. So it stays kind of gummy. Um, that's my only issue with it, but both work fine. I used to use Teflon and then I switched to the paper glue, which is why I showed you guys. Um, I would do it. I would fill in that way. I know what you're thinking. The string tension is going to hold down, but it, it's just going to get worse. The situation gets worse. So, you know, if you have a, a, an issue with your studs slipping out of your guitar, whether it's, they're drilled in, whether they're there, it's going to get worse because the wood is going to keep kind of pulling away and that gap's going to get bigger. Uh, Litvay did us a super sticker. Thank you, Litvay. I appreciate that. Grumpy Mike Guitar says, For the tone jar and why not? I had to smile when I saw the distortion plush in your distortion plush. Distortion plus. That was me, not him. He put a plus sign. I said plush. Distortion plus in your five moments video. Uh, that was my first pedal back in the 70s. Yeah, I... um. When I did that video, you know, I was I was very thorough trying to go through the history. I really enjoyed. Somebody put a comment today. They actually noticed that that I put the rat before the uh, the uh, the uh, boss because of the fact that it came out three months earlier. Yeah, the Distortion Plus. So I'm glad. First, your first one was Distortion Plus. Think about this. None of my first my first Distortion wasn't on that list, but I had to still talk about it. Gravedigger Dale said, have a great weekend. I appreciate that. Fret Level Midnight says, I bought an Orangewood uh, mahogany over your great reviews. Added some spare locking tuners, lubed the nut. Mild truss rod adjustment. Bam, plays fantastic. So yeah, the overall opinion I get from the Orangewood stuff from the viewers is that it's really good. The ones I got, of course, were really good because the company makes sure, you know, they sent them to me. So I'm sure they made sure they were good. Um and, uh, but everything I heard from friends and, and it, about them was good as well. So I mean, good stuff. Every once in a while, I hear somebody say they had some bad ones and stuff, but again, they're kind of price friendly import 
instruments. So, uh, but what I pay attention to, so, you know, what I pay attention to when somebody puts a comment like, Hey, I bought this guitar and I didn't love it. I really pay attention to the comments about the company. When somebody says, Oh, I bought an orange wood and I emailed them. And they told me go suck it. So I don't get a whole lot of that. So good things. Uh, I've met the orange wood guys once after I did a video, they sent two guitars and I did videos. Uh, I, they stopped me at the NAMM show about a year later and said, that they enjoyed the videos and that uh, they said hi and they seemed really nice. So, uh, and that is important because I got the vibe from them that they actually cared about their company. Fox and the Hound says, my orange wood is great. Yeah, so like I said, I, I tend to lean towards co uh, companies, people at companies more so than products sometimes because everyone's going to have a problem. But the question is, what do they do when you have that problem? David said uh, he had a Chandler tube driver. Was it your first pedal? That's a pretty nice pedal. Sean Brooks wants to know, Phil, is it true that Mojotone ghost builds speaker cabinets for PRS? Not anymore. Well, yeah, they probably make this. They're probably still making the David Grissom 212. Yes, PRS. Uh, well, so let's be very clear. Mojotone ghost build cabinets for like 50 guitar companies. That's minimum. <laughs> uh... So yes, they absolutely do. Uh, which is why I told you guys, I like the PRS cabinets. I have them. I have the 112 and the 212 because they're Mojo Tone cabinets. They're dovetail jointed pine cabinets. And, you know, you find them on a deal. I, could, I found both my PRS cabinets uh, with speakers for the same or less than what Mojo will sell me the same cabinets for. So, and I know they're the same cabinets. So yeah, Mojo makes those cabinets. That's real common in this industry. You have to have a, you know, it's a lot, it's a large resource to make cabinets. You have to have a lot of space. You have to have somebody that can build them. And, 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 and when everybody says build them, everybody was kind of thinking in their head the same thing. Like it's just a wooden box. It's not the problem everybody has with it's the vinyl. It's wrapping and gluing the vinyl. You know, it's a hard thing to do uh, when you, when, to train somebody to do, you know what I mean? Uh, for dirt cheap, because that's essentially what they want, right? They want somebody to assemble this stuff dirt cheap. So yes, that's absolutely true. However, you have to understand with PRS, um, I, the David Grissom, probably the John Mayer, if they're still making that cabinet, is made in by Mojotone, uh, which is why PRS cabinets were expensive, because they were only buying you know a couple dozen at a time from Mojotone. But now the new PRS cabinets, all the ones you see now are imported from, uh, from Asia somewhere. Uh, I think Indonesia. You'd have to look on the back of those cabinets for sure, but I'm pretty sure it's Indonesia. I'm pretty sure who's making the cabinets and amps for PRS now is Cortec in Indonesia. Could be China, though, as you know. No, you'd have to look. Richard says he's waiting for IKEA speaker cabinets. They will be cheap. <laughs> uh... And then Brett says, go price Baltic birch plywood. Yeah, well, again, woods, well, definitely, we know about the issue with wood right now. It's expensive. Sean says, are they now highly bitten? I don't know. Well, first of all, I don't understand the question, but more importantly, Harley bitten does not make anything for anyone. So don't confuse that. Harley bitten is a, is a brand. It's not a company. Harley bitten is something that's put on products made by other companies like there is no factory harley bitten making stuff like no no you're not buying 
so understand, I sometimes you get confused. I understand it because we get confused about like Cortec or Sam, uh, Samic or brands like that, right? Where Cortec makes their brand and then they make all these products for other companies. And if you buy their brand specifically, you're basically buying the same uh, same products in the same factory, just without the branding. That's not how Harley Benton works. Harley Benton works like they go to factories like those factories and they say, okay, build us these guitars, build us these cabinets, build us these amplifiers, build us these things. And then they slap their Harley Benton brand on that. Harley Benton is a brand uh, that they put on products they buy. And they just buy so many damn products that they can get that price down because they go to those factories and go, give us 10,000 of those. Okay. Uh, Day Talk wants to know what I think of the 61 Burstbucker versus the 57 Classic. I like them both, but what I can tell you is I have uh, in my SG is a 61 uh, Burstbucker, and Ralph had the 57 Classics in his SG, and I preferred the way his sounded. And in the comments in that video when we A-beat our two guitars, everybody preferred the 57 Classic. I didn't change mine out, though, but everybody kind of... I, I agreed with the comments in the video. I thought his sounded a little better. Let's see. Okay. Um... All right, let me go to those questions. How are we doing? We're doing good on time. Okay, next question comes from Grave Digger Dale. Grave Digger Dale says, how long do you think I'm, I'm going to have to wait to get my hands on a new Schecter C1 exotic with spalted maple? Um, I don't know, but I do know this. If you're buying guitars and they're saying they're backordered, um, I, I, I can't unfortunately tell you who because it's not, not, I'm not, not authorized to. I didn't ask them if it was okay. I just talked to a guitar company this week who told me, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm debating in my head if I should say this, but I'm going to say it. I just talked to a guitar company this week who told me uh, that their next shipment of guitars is in February. Yeah. So if you notice I'm being quiet for a second, because I mean, that's just an insane thing. Because that's how long they have to wait. <laughs> That's the back order on something. So like I said, it's definitely an issue. There you go. All right. Um, said, I see Steve from Boston in the comments. What's up? Says, thoughts on the 2021 Gibson SG. To me, you're asking me what I think of that? I have not played it. I have a, I don't know what year my SG is. I have a 2020 Gibson uh, 335 I bought. So... I, uh, I, I, I haven't tried any of the 2021 Gibson stuff. I will tell you this though, on a side note, uh, cause I, like I said, I share everything with you guys. You guys, when Nathan was here, you guys kept asking me about Epiphone, Greg, uh, who's a very cool guy who works and handles all the, uh, the stuff for, uh, American musical supply, American musical supply. He was watching the show. I'm assuming because it would be weird if he just randomly sent me this email without watching the show. He must have been listening or watching. He, I'm getting water. So, this is how I get water. Hold on. I'm going to share you, show you guys. This is how I do it now. I got a little thermos, and I then I add tequila in it. No, um, 
He uh, he sent me an email this week, and I just want to thank you guys. Uh, so apparently, you guys keep asking me about Epiphone. You know, doing more Epiphone videos, Epiphone, and I said, you know, it's not going to happen. He emailed me and said, uh, American Music Supply would like that to happen. So uh, he is definitely sending some Epiphones. So Epiphones are going to be on the channel. So, uh, and that was from you guys because obviously you guys brought it up and he saw it and he took care of it. So. Two things. One, thank you to American Musical Supply, American Musical Supply, and 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 for Greg for doing that. And thank you for you guys. Matt says, "Canteen boy." Um. Okay. Wanna Beetle said that some companies are always on back order, at least for twenty years. That's that's a bad back order list. <laughs> All right. What else do we got? Uh, let's go back to... I'm trying to see. And again, if you're talking to me, put a question mark first. All right. Let me go over here. Okay. We have... I'm just reading them right now, guys. Hold on a second. Uh, D. Charon says, get yourself a drink on me. Oh, I, I hope you probably don't mean water because that's free. I think you guys are determined that I drink more. Uh, Jason says, uh, for the tip jar, and did you get a box I sent you? Um, I don't know, Jason. I got two boxes this week for... Uh, I'm assume I don't want to assume which one. Um, I have them to open. I'm very excited about them. I'll be sharing them next week, so that hopefully answers your question. <laughs> so, so uh, Troy Davis said. So I know that's like I know that puts you off a week, but I just want to be you know I don't want to get it wrong. I want to make sure everybody gets the appropriate thank yous they deserve. Uh, Troy says, "Hey Phil, is weight a factor when you're buying a guitar?" That is. Absolutely, the biggest factor. All of my guitars are within a certain range of weight. Um, I can almost tell you exactly when I'm looking at these guitars how much they all weigh. <laughs> what I can tell you is uh, that guitar, my mirror that I'm pointing at right now, is six pounds six ounces. I think uh, Nathan's guitar is like in the seven low seven pound range. That guitar is at high sixes, low seven. That guitar is at six pounds. Um, the uh, Kiesel, that one right there, is 7 pounds, 13 ounces. So, yes, it's something I focus on. I don't know why. Actually, I do know why, but i got to wait for the video to tell you why. Uh, I never knew why. This is the part, I should say. I never knew why it mattered to me until I told you somebody said, hey, let's do a video where you talk about your guitars and explain why the weights matter. And I was like, I don't know why they matter. And then after some searching, I've decided I think maybe I do know why they matter now. Um, so, but it is important to me. Yes. Uh, why uh, for the easy term that I can answer here on the channel or on the podcast that makes life easy. I like my guitars to feel alike. I know they're different shapes and I know they sound different, but I like them to feel alike. So I like all the necks to be within a certain amount of spec from each other, like not super thin necks, not super chunky. I like them all in the middle because they feel pretty consistent. Um, I like all the all the weights to be consistent. I like the guitars to feel pretty consistent. What I've learned is it allows me to not feel like... I know some players really like their guitars to be different, so each guitar has a different purpose. Me, it's just like 
you know, which guitar do I pick up today? That one. <laughs> you know what I mean? That one. You know what I mean? Just grab it and go. Um, Blue Walking Bird says, hey, Phil, whatever happened to the Vox guitars? Uh, I have a Japanese uh, Virage, which is my number one, but I can't find them now, and there's not much online. Well, Vox is a company that keeps, you know, has tried guitars many times. They have different versions. They have little teeny guitars, what they, you know, they did this year. Uh, they did those travel guitars. They obviously did those amazing hollow bodies. Um, you know, it, it's... Everyone wants, it's just like everything else. If Vox wants to make guitars and amps, the amps sell a lot and the guitars don't sell a lot. And what I've learned is with companies is it depends on how, how much they tolerate stuff. So let me give you an example. This company like PRS, they'll do $70 million. Most of that's in guitars. So of course they'll start selling amps. And then all of a sudden the amps maybe, let's say, the, let's say PRS amps. And I, I don't know this to be true. Okay. At all. But it's just something I can, you know, kind of as an analogy. Let's say PRS sells. $1 million in amps, okay? To a company like them, they're going to go, wow, $69 million was guitars and $1 million was amps? What a waste of time. But keep in mind, like, Freedman Amps is like a $3 million company, you know, some is a, a guess, right? But that's generally close. Um, they're doing great. PRS would be doing great, but they're not going to perceive it that way. So I think Vox follows the same victim, that same victim of that same problem is, you know, they're a company and like 99% of the money is coming from the amps. And then they open a guitar division and to them, it's just utter failure, even though we all like them and we're buying them. Uh, I think, I think if you ever need a bigger example of that exact problem, it's Fender. Uh, you look at Fender, how much money they make on guitars and amps. And yet they dominate the bass in the bass amp market as well. I mean, Fender owns the guitar market, the amp market, the bass market, and the, and the bass amp market. They literally dominate all four of those categories. Yet, I've been, I have friends that have been worked with Fender for many years in the bass side, and the bass side never gets the love, even though they're one of the biggest bass companies in the world. They're so minuscule compared to the guitar side, they don't get as much love. So that's how it works. Um, Thomas wants to know, do I have any preferences when it comes to the color of a guitar or how they're the colors you would never choose? No, uh, nothing like that. There, it's, it's very random when it comes to how a guitar looks, uh, especially since I will pick a guitar for the way it plays and sounds way before how it looks. And I've told you guys this many times, that's not normal. Normal is, like I said, in your eye, then in your ear. In your ear. You like the way something looks and then you play it. Um, in my, uh, in my experience, uh, is that when a guitar plays great, it's a very unique thing. Um, you know, when you fight guitars to get them to play well for customers, when you pick a guitar that plays great, you realize like it's a gem in the rough. So literally sometimes I'll be like, oh man, I wish this was not in this color, but I don't care. So it just goes. Um, Okay, so hold on a second. Okay. Um, Doesn't it like, seem like a long time when I'm quiet? All right. <laughs> okay, uh, so the next question comes from Disturbing the Peace Music says, cheers, keep doing what you're doing. 
Thank you so much. I love the name, Disturbing the Peace. That's awesome. Jeff, uh, his question is, hey, Phil, so like Strat sound, I, I hate, so he, he likes the, I think he's saying he likes it. He likes the Strat sound. He hates the Strat fill, uh, the way it feels. Uh, small radius, bridge, etc. cetera. Uh, think Fender Ultra Strat, compound thoughts. Uh, have a, uh, he has a heavy metal Strat, change the pickups, EMGs, no Strat sound. So your issue is you like the way the Strat sound, but not the feel of the guitars. Okay. <laughs> um, so I get it. You like, so here's what I'm getting from that, Jeff. And I hope I'm on the same page as you. Uh, this is something that I think I, I was a long time ago. I used to have an issue with, which is I used to like the feel of modern guitars. That sounds like what you're sounding like. So to me, you'd give me an Ibanez, a Jackson, uh, a Charvel, a, uh, a deluxe Fender Strat. Those guitars felt more like what I liked. I didn't like the more traditional vintage or standard Fender type guitars, but I did love the way they sounded. Uh, so, um, the question I think you're getting to is like, you know, should you look at the ultra strats, um, or the, could you have a hit? Yes. That's what I ended up doing. So how I got, I ended up going down a weird road. And so I just warn you how it worked. So I didn't like strats. I bought a strat and I was like, okay, this is nice. But I like said, like you said, I love the way it sounded, but didn't love the feel. So I eventually got a deluxe strat. Love the way it felt, felt more like what I liked and it still had kind of a Strat vibe. And then over time, I just slowly fell in love with older feeling Strats. <laughs> so it did work. Uh, it, it wasn't my plan, but that's what happened. Uh, Jeff says, uh, he wants to know what the lag guitar uh, tuning pegs hole sizes. I don't know. I can measure them for you. If that helps, I would say they're probably nine or 10 millimeter holes. That would be my guess. That's just a guess. I have to look. Um, what I can do is if you, I have it downstairs in the shop, my lag right now. So if Jeff, if you put a message to me at askknowyourgear at gmail.com, put in the, uh, the, the subject lag tuner peg holes. Um, I'll measure them real fast. It'll be the shortest email response you ever got in your life. It'll be just basically I'll caliper them and I'll send you the measurement. But at least I'll give you the answer. Uh, Matthew says, cheers and happy Friday. Thank you, Matthew. And John says, for the Evertune Fund or just take your family out to dinner. Oh, my God. He gave me $100. Well, dude, we're definitely going to put that towards the Evertune. This is my personality. It's going towards the Evertune. You just pretty much guaranteed an Evertune on the channel because I'm going to do it. And there's no way I could let you do that without... Um, uh, I mean, as much as it's, thank you for letting me take my family to dinner concept, uh, they're fine. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I will do it. Uh, you just cinched it. I'll figure out how to make it happen. Um, and I'll let you guys, I'll update you next week. So let me have a week to figure out how I'm going to map this out and how we'll do the video and, uh, but it'll do it. So John, you just guaranteed it's going to happen. I don't know how, but it's going to happen. Uh, sh thank you. And, not thank you at the same time, but mostly thank you. Uh, Shut up, let's talk. Says, <laughs> all right. So if guitars were burgers, what would the Strat and Les Paul be? What the hell? <laughs> we're not going that way with this channel. This is we're not going the obscure weird thing. There's just no way. But uh, Strats would be McDonald's for sure, and Les Pauls would be, uh, uh, you know, I would say Red Robin, but I'll probably piss somebody off because they're not going to think that's a high end burger place. 
Where I live, Red Robin's expensive. <laughs> Red Robin burger is like 20 bucks-ish. You know what I mean? So I'm going to say Les Paul's Red Robin because I can get a beer and expensive burger and, and, and self-proclaimed strats or McDonald's. It's fast and cheap. Unless you hate McDonald's, then pick the other restaurant you don't hate as much. James says, if one is punk rock and 10 is polka, okay, this is going to get weird music. What number would you give surf rock? Five. I just, you, you're going to get a five random number. I don't know. Um, but what I can tell you is in the order, I love that music. I like punk rock, then surf rock, then polka in that order. All right. Uh, Ross says, I have a PRS SE hollow body that I love. I added split coils and locking tuners. Did we have this discussion? Did you? Okay. Is it worth 3K to upgrade to the core hollow body? Oh, see, I already answered another question. The answer is your question. The answer is no, don't do it. I did it. Nope. The hollow body SE. So you said SE. I'm assuming you didn't get the piezo is $1,000 to $1,500. When you say upgrade, I just want to be all clear. Let's be all on the same page today. When you say three grand to upgrade to a hollow body two PRS, that's if you can find one used for that. They're five grand now, minimum. They're expensive. So, no. What I can tell you is... Uh, I guess if you, if the, you know, this is two questions in one show. I didn't have any plans to do this video. Would you, anyone interested in a video? SE hollow body two ver No one will watch it. It'll get, but if you guys want it, I'll still do it. Um, uh, the uh, hollow body two versus core. Is that a thing? I have the two guitars. The two guitars you guys keep asking about, and you're super chatting me about. I have both those guitars. I have a PRS 2020 core brand new and i have a 2020 prs se i can a b the two guitars in a video so <laughs> you guys are on the weirdest tangent okay let's go to mr fancy hand says he has a question he always wanted to ask uh, oh no, he no, that's not what it is. It says, "Is there a gear question you've always wanted to be asked, but no one has asked yet?" And a question you get sick of answering. Um, well, I don't get sick of answering any of these things. I have friends in the industry. Um, look, uh, you, you you know, people are different personalities. I'm saying that because I'm going to give an excuse because I I think it warrants one. People are different personalities. I have friends that are in this industry. They're just douchey. But they're my friends, and, you know, they're smart, and I like them, but they're kind of douchey. Um, everyone's got a different personality flaw, right? <laughs> That's theirs. I have my own. They have theirs. I'll do this show every Friday, and sometimes, you know, the reaction to that is, like, wow, what a great show, or what a great fun it is. And then sometimes they're like, how stupid is this? You guys just talk about stupid things, and people, and, and they'll make fun of it. To me, by the way, they're making fun of me. <laughs> You know, like, don't you get, I would kill myself if I had to talk about the things you guys talk about every week. And I tell them the same thing I'm about to tell you. Um, I love this. It, it took me a while. I started doing it. I did it because I thought people would be interested in doing these, uh, this live show. I did it. And then I have to admit, I wouldn't say I was last, but I was one of the last people to end up liking this show. 
Isn't that funny? It's my show, <laughs> my live show, and I did it kind of like as a public service kind of in my mind. I'm talking about my mind, right? Like uh, I'll do these question QA things and then, you know, I, I won't feel so guilty when I can't get to all the emails. And then over time, uh, hopefully like some of you, I just like, man, uh, it's Friday tomorrow. Cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is what's going to happen. This is, this is really cool. So what I will tell you is I'm very aware of the fact that I'm not going to get sick of the questions because the day I'm the, there will be a day when no one's going to want to ask me these questions and talk to me about this stuff. And this, this, the inevitability of anything is it ends one day, this ends and I'll miss it. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to take it for, uh, take it, take it for granted now. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, okay. That's the one question. The other question was, is there a gear question that anyone's ever, that no one's ever asked me that I wish they would ask? Uh, like an insightful question. Like, you know, there was that the way I read that is like, does anyone ever tapped into the part of my mind where I'm like, why don't they actually go there? Um, the, uh, no, not really in the sense that I've ever go, man, why does anybody ask me that? Um, uh, there are things, there are questions that I'm always shocked that no one's asked me. That's better. I wish, I wish I could stick on your subject, which is gear. It's never about gear. I feel like a lot, we cover gear a lot. Sometimes I think it's funny that people don't ask certain questions knowing that you pretty much going to get the right, you know, the, 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 the not right answer, but the, the honest answer. <laughs> so sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm surprised no one's asked me this week about, uh, it's always about something that happens that week. I'm surprised somebody didn't ask me that because they know I'm probably going to have to say, you know, what I really think. And it's going to be maybe awkward. Um, and so sometimes it happens. But most time it doesn't. Um, no. The, and another thing you didn't ask it, but it's always kind of fun. Is there any questions I don't want to answer about gear? And, um, and, uh, and I know you didn't answer that, ask that, but I want to, I want to see if I can tackle it. Is there anything I don't want to answer? Like putting myself on the spot right now. Um, no, no, uh, I actually feel okay with everything, but I think I, through talking, hopefully I just kind of, kind of came to the conclusion of what the question no one asked me, asked me is, I think what I always think funny is, is no one really talks about, everybody always asks me about the gear that they see this obvious amount of gear. And it's always it seems how it seems to be locked into how much gear I have or don't have seems no one seems to ask like uh, logistically how does it come how do I get all this gear right so let me give you an example here's a question that no one's asked me but it makes a lot of sense I bought a uh, somebody asked me on Ben Coombs show I was on Ben Coombs show last Sunday somebody asked me uh, did I buy a Gibson R9 and the answer is yes I have an R9 and an RO and uh Oh, you know what? It uh, it's oh, there's an SG. <laughs> this is gonna suck for people listening. And I keep going, and there's a Gibson R9 with a beautiful burst top. Uh, so here's what's interesting about that. Let me center this back up. It's a big mess. Um, the question that's really interesting is, what did I pay for the R9? And that's the million dollar question. It's uh, I have an R9. And I've told you guys that I don't like to spend more than $2,500 on a guitar. So how did I get an R9? Well, I actually got the R9 for free. So the story goes like this. Um, in 2006, I bought a Gibson Catalina guitar. 
it's a beautiful guitar. It was a surf greenish blue. It's called Catalina Blue. It looks like surf green or seafoam green. Gibson. I bought it for $1,900 from a friend who owns a vintage store. I love that guitar. Uh, is an understatement. Um, and I played it all the time. Okay. So I have a customer who would not stop trying to buy that guitar off of me. In fact, so you know, the store that actually sold it to me, my friend owns a store, he tried to buy it back from me all the time. He's like, if, you know, I want to buy it, want to buy it. You... So I paid 19 for it. At one point, they were worth like 2,500 bucks. I think they got to three grand, right? And here's what happened. One day, he did the crazy thing. He offered me an insane deal. He didn't offer me money. He offered me a pile of gear. And this is the important part of the story. So, uh, so I have a friend, like I said, that, that owns a vintage store. And he told me this great, this great theory. He said, you'll never be out. And this is the analogy he used. It's not mine. He said, you'll never be able to buy a Babe Ruth baseball card. It's too expensive. The only way you're going to get it out of somebody's hands and make money with it is if you can trade them a bunch of cards they want, like Mickey Mantles and other stuff, and then trade. And let's say you have, you know, just a little bit of money in those cards. You now have a, a Babe Ruth card for almost nothing where everybody else would like to charge you for it. That was the analogy at the time. So what happened was everybody would throw money at me like, I'll give you $2,500 for that Catalina. I'll give you $2,600 for that Catalina. I think one day somebody offered me three grand for this guitar. Three grand for the Catalina. And I was like, nope, <laughs> right? Even though I'm like, oh, if I sell it for three grand, I make a thousand bucks. I still love it. So one day this guy came in and said, I will trade you all this stuff. So I went through the stuff and I math, you know, just went over the math real quick. And it was like $6,300, $6,400 worth of stuff. Sale-wise, not new. I'm talking about what you could sell it for. And I traded I traded for that stuff and I sold it all and I made exactly what I said. I made a little over $6,000. So I took a $1,900 guitar, Catalina, and sold $6,000, made $4,000 profit. Now I know what you're thinking. What did I do? Well, here's what I did. I decided that I, I wanted to replace that guitar, but the only thing replaced, that was a, the Gibson Catalina is a custom shop guitar. So long story short, that money went into an account. And every time I got in a situation where I could exactly like that trade or do something where I got a surplus, let's say I bought a guitar and then, uh, let's say I bought a guitar for $500 and I was playing it. And then like, you know, a year later, somebody wanted to buy it and I sold it for, I don't know, you know, $700 and I made a couple hundred bucks. I put it in this account. And so long story short, I got to a point where I realized, uh, just a while ago that the account had enough money to buy a Gibson R9. So I went down and offered a store a cash deal to buy a Gibson R9 for about $1,000 under what they were going for. And I got it. And I can honestly tell you that at this point, I paid myself back the, the $1,900, by the way, that's back in my pocket. I, I got it with all the, the surplus funds. So the reason I tell you that story is that's sometimes where I think I, there's a confusion. You'll look at a guitar... And you guys are valuing this stuff like like with price tags. You know what I mean? Phil paid this, and he did this, and he did this. And I, I'm telling you, uh, I can tell you honestly 
that in the last, since I've been doing YouTube in the last few years, I've only bought like one or two guitars. When I mean bought, I mean physically paid out of an account, paid new money into a kitty. Everything else has just been churning as I've been calculating how to, you know, it's the, what's it? Somebody calls it the paperclip, right? You take a paperclip and the guy goes on Craigslist and eventually gets a house. That's how you do it. And the R9, which I love, maybe one day will turn into something else. I don't know. So there you go. Uh, you guys might've noticed early on in my channel, I had this beautiful gem, this yellow gem. And that was, that was, was that as well. It was one of those guitars that it flipped to, cause it created a new situation for me, a new, a new opportunity. So that's the story with that. Um, so when you ask what I, when people don't, you know, what do I wish people ask me or what don't, not what I wish, but what is it that they don't ask? They don't ask me how I get things. They just assume everyone says the same three things. Always oh, on YouTube. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but they, everybody says it or whatever it is you guys think are happening. Um, I just had a situation this week. I want to give a shout out to a, a good customer and a good friend, uh, a good customer. A lot of my customers are my friends. Most actually think of it as almost all my friends are, were my customers. And I think that's a nice thing to say because I feel good about that, but it is kind of funny. Like he tells you where I must've met everybody for years. Um, I had a friend that, um, our customer, like I said, is a friend. Uh, about eight years ago, seven years ago. I can't remember the timeline. Let's say it was 2015. So five, six years ago, he brought in a Parker for setup. I thought it was the best playing Parker I'd ever played. And uh, he got it back and he was like, you think it's any good? And I said, I, I think it's the best Parker I've ever played. And I own a custom Parker and I, I love it. And uh, long story short, <laughs> long story short, this week I decided to offload a couple guitars uh, and I, I texted a couple of my good customers you know, like, Hey, I'm getting rid of these guitars and they're, they're special. And he's like, I'll take this one. And I said, great. And he says, Oh, I'm selling a couple myself. And I said, what are you selling? And he goes that Parker. And, uh, and so this is why I tell you this, uh, Parker guitar right now, uh, that Parker guitar, it could be selling for three grand. Parker's are all over the place. As, as you guys know, if anyone follows that it's odd brands, like Parker, they're all over the place. You can buy them for nothing or a lot of money, depending on the condition and, um, you know, the situation. So long story short with this guitar, he goes, uh, yeah, I want to sell it. What do you think it's worth? And I said, oh man, who knows? 1500 to $3,000. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Uh, I said, let's look. And, and I said, what do you want for it? And, um, and he said, uh, you know, he doesn't know he'll, he'll defer to my judgment. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, like I've told you guys, and I've talked about this on the podcast before I said, obviously I'm willing to do the first right of refusal deal, which is the deal I do with all my friends and my friends do with me, which is I'll buy the guitar from you. And then whatever I pay you, if I ever sell it ever in my life, I guarantee that you're the first person I contact and you can buy it for what you sold to me. So he sold it to me for $1,100. I just bought a beautiful Parker. If you saw my Instagram, I'll show you a picture. That guitar is amazing. 1100 bucks. But if I ever sell, I got to sell it back to him. So please don't send me an email. Hey, Phil, I'll buy it off you. I can't. <laughs> so anyways, um, that's the point. That guitar, you know what I mean? These, these are how you kind of figure out how to get these kind of guitars. So I know it, the reason I say that is because like I said, everybody just assumes they see the guitar, they see this guitar, that guitar, whatever. And then they just assume like I'm spending... 20, 30, 50 grand, whatever. Somebody even said it in one of my videos. I said I wouldn't buy a $50,000 guitar. And somebody goes, yeah, but you have $50,000 guitars behind me. And I was curious. And I did the math of all the guitars I own. And they're not even close to that. What I've paid. Not even close. 
not even the same realm. Because I live in a world where a lot of you guys, you either have the money to buy the stuff, which is God bless you, and those ones could do that, great. Or you do what I do, which is you get into the industry and you find out how to create situations where you can make it. All right. That's enough of that. i got to get back to the last question so we can start our weekends together. Okay. Uh, Master something <laughs> says, Marketeer. Master Marketeer says, any tips for routing a single, single, single to HSH? Harbor Freight Trim Router, Stumac Template Tape, uh, all of the above. I am a cheater now, so I use Stumac Templates for everything. I have templates for everything. If I didn't buy them from Stumac, it's just because friends gave them to me. I am a template cheater. I hate it. It's a horrible thing to admit once you do. Uh, For years, I was router and tape. Forever. Forever. Uh, Which is the right way to do it, if you want to learn practice on wood and do it with tape and a router. Um, uh, That's the right way to do it. You'll be better at it. The templates make you really bad. And to the point where, um, so, you know, it's like a crutch or a a training wheels. It's really not a good idea because I I used to be so much better at it. Uh, If you guys seen some videos, like I, when I did one all freehand, like sometimes the Dremel, sometimes the router, uh, I'll do it freehand sometimes, but I noticed the templates make you just stupid easy. Uh, But that, so that's the what I would suggest. Do it with tape and a router and learn to do it and get good at it. However, there's something to be said for guaranteeing the work by getting the template. You don't have to get them from Stu Mac. They have them everywhere else too. They, they have less expensive ones. I like the clear plastic ones. You can get wood ones, which most of mine are wood because my friends gave them to me out of MDF and stuff and other materials. But I really like the clear uh the clear stew Mac ones are really, really nice. Okay. Bradley Thompson did a super chat, but there's no message. So thank you, Bradley, for super chatting. Uh, Max did a super chat. He says, hey, Phil, uh, what's your favorite player and album of the shrapnel roster of the late 80s, early 90s? I'm not sure. <laughs> because although I'm a huge band fan... I don't know if I know record labels. Like I couldn't tell you who was Metal Blade Records and who was Shrapnel and who was. So I would be, uh, I would be, I wouldn't be able to do it. But let's see where I can get. I can get it in your range. Ready? Uh, your favorite player and album from the late '80s, early '90s. It's not on that record uh, label. Um, see, when I think Shrapnel, I also think of like Metal Blade and stuff. I think of like. Um, Racer X and stuff, but I'm not sure if they were on those records, like Metal Church and all that stuff. So I'm going to say favorite player from the 80s and 90s. I hope that we do that. My favorite player from the 80s and 90s is Nuno Bittencourt, is for sure. That's why I have an N4. I'm a Nuno freak. He's he's definitely the guitar player. Like, I like Steve I. Of course, I like a ton of the guitar players, the, the same round of guitar players everybody else does, but definitely Nuno was like the first time I heard porn graffiti, which is not on that record label, but still, uh, I was like, man, I don't know what this is, but this is it for me. It like changed everything about how I like music and spin. It took me out of metal. Like at that point in my life, when pornography graffiti came out, I was mostly listening to the metal stuff. And even though extreme was a metal band, for some reason, that album just made me go, man, I need to figure out stuff. So all of a sudden I'm like, I'm listening to fishbone. I'm listening to the chili peppers. It's weird. I don't know why my brain connected the funk uh, oh, George Clinton, right? Like in the P-Funk, like literally for some reason, 
that album made me like go, what am I? There's more to metal. There's because like the first time I heard a a, a, a brass section, <laughs> there's a brass section in a metal band. I'm like, this is amazing. Why doesn't everybody do this? And then it was, well, no one does this, but there is brass sections in other music. I need to go check that out. And then, you know what I mean? You start you start going down that road. So. Not the actual answer to your question, but it's close as I can get with the information I have. Fox and the Hound said, Happy Friday. Wanted to pay my my only Phil sub fees. Well, I thank you. I appreciate that. He's supporting the channel. Sean says, For all the free advice I've gotten from this channel, by the way, help me decide. Okay. He says, Get my first telly or my first semi hollow. <coughs> okay. Excuse my cough. Okay. Um, telly. I would get a telly before you get a semi hollow. I am a semi hollow fan. I have more semi hollows than I have tellies. I'm a semi hollow fan, but I don't think a semi hollow in my in my world it really changed much for me. Like semi hollows are cool. I like playing on them. There's things I like about the way they sound, the way they feel. But it doesn't really change. A telly is definitely a instrument that everyone should try. Like everyone, <laughs> I I don't know if everyone will love a semi hollow, but everyone will. Well, I don't know. Everyone won't love a telly either, but everyone would be forever changed from playing a telly. So, d- do a telly. Hey, hey, you know what, Sean? You get the you get the best comment ever. He says, "Buy a semi hollow telly." That's a good compromise. But yeah, I would pick the telly over the semi hollow for sure. Uh, and then it says, uh, "I'm Freeman." I Freeman one says, "Is there a big difference between Seymour Duncan pickups and Seymour Duncan design pickups?" So I talked to Kathy Duncan once, and she walked me down the entire the, the entire time. There's three kinds of Seymour Duncan pickups. There's Seymour Duncan, Duncan Designs, and Performers. Duncan Performers. Duncan. This is from Kathy Duncan. She told me this whole thing. Duncan Performers were an exclusive pickup to Guitar Center, and in her words, she said, "I'm not even sure." what they were doing like she's like they didn't source them through us it was a licensing deal or some sort or some kind of deal where that was a guitar center only product so duncan performers they were in guitars at guitar center and stuff like that duncan design again back to kathy duncan is what she said kathy duncan said duncan design is our their import manufacturer so like in korea and stuff that make pickups and they have them specified to the exact same specifications as the seymour duncan's what happened was after hearing this information and I said, are they the same? And she's like, we spec them exactly the same. And, you know, I was like, okay. And then, you know, but it, like a lot of you, I'm like, I don't know. I heard a Duncan uh, or, you know, a Duncan design. And then I put the real Duncan in there and it sounded better. And what I learned is that is a possible situation that you can come across. But I've learned from, from her, talking to her that a lot of players suffer from this problem. They get a Duncan design pickup and then they try a different pickup by Seymour Duncan. And then they say, oh, this is much better or much different. If you get a Duncan Design JB and a Duncan Design 59 and you compare them to the real thing, they are very close. What people are going to perceive mostly, especially in the pickup realm, if you AB them, like if I take a Duncan Design uh, JB out of a guitar and put a Duncan, see more Duncan JB in the guitar, and, they, and, and I, I do that demonstration for you guys, a lot of you might go, oh, no, I can hear it. The, the Seymour Duncan's a little brighter, a little clearer. Whatever you say, I can actually have the same result if I just try two different JB pickups. Pickups, by definition, are, you know, they're they're just slightly different each time. There's all kinds of stuff. It happens with the type of wire and type meaning the, you know, what spool came off of, all that stuff. There's too many variances in this. 
Right. John said, oh, perfectly said, John. That should be a t-shirt. There's only so much science in a pickup. <laughs> it's absolutely true. There's there's a lot of great things about pickups, but yes, there's only there's only so much science in a pickup. So uh, I have never found after that, I started paying attention. So, you know, so I didn't, I started doing it without telling customers at all. Customer could bring in a guitar with Duncan designs. They'd had me a set of J, uh, Seymour Duncans. I'd look and verify that they're the same pickups and I'd play them before and after, you know what I mean? Without telling the customer. And over every time I'd go, I, I can't hear a difference. Like I couldn't. So, so I have never felt a personal need to remove a Seymour Duncan design pickup to put a Duncan if I'm putting the same pickup. And what's great is Seymour Duncan, <coughs> excuse me, Seymour Duncan will help you because if you go to Seymour Duncan's website, there's actually a, a place on the website where you can resource and take and look at the number on the bottom of your Seymour Duncan design, pick up your Duncan design and find out what model it is. So here's what I suggest to you. If you're going to replace your Duncan designs, which I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, I'm just saying if you're going to try to pick a different pickup. If you're going to buy the same pickup, I don't think you're going to get a whole lot of money, you know, a whole lot of value for your money. The difference is going to be small. If it matters to you that much, the 1% to 5% difference, well, I guess, you know, it matters to you. Spend your money how you feel. It's your money. But if you're asking for my input, um, if I had a Duncan Design JB in the bridge of a guitar, I would not put a Duncan, I wouldn't put a Seymour Duncan JB in there. If I'm going to change it, I'm going to change it to a different pickup because you're probably going to get a much slightly different result, but slightly different. Um, and I always like to point this out just cause it's cool. DiMaggio has never made a pickup outside the United States <laughs> just because Larry's always been cool to me. I like Duncan. I like DiMaggio, but I just like saying that out loud. DiMaggio has never made a pickup outside the United States. So you don't have to worry about it. Even if it says Ibanez, A IBZ, it's still made in the USA. It's made in New York. Um, Okay. Uh, the next one comes from Matt. Matt says, I bought a Golden Stadium HT Tele style. That's a great guitar. I just played one of those at Zim's. It was the white one. It was great. Uh, love it. How do you, how do they make such a great guitar and sell it for 650 bucks? Uh, well, the Canadian dollars shite that helps <laughs> does, uh, you know, buying power in the U S over Canada's, uh, is good right now. Uh, that's one Two, Golden is a no nonsense brand. You know what I mean? they, like I said, I, I like Godin the most as a company. They do great stuff, great guitars, priced uh, priced great. By the way, they used to be even better. It used to be stupid. So, you know, you used to be able to buy, uh, you know, uh, Godin guitars for Godin, Godin, Godin guitars. Godan. I'm just kidding. Godan guitars. You used to buy them dirt cheap. Now they're a little bit more, but still very affordable. Um, I have an Artsalutely acoustic downstairs, and I was talking just to my, my friend the other day about the fact that when I bought that guitar, you could it was made in Canada out of solid woods, and it was the same price or less than a guitar imported from Asia. It was a great deal. It still is. So that's that's what it is. That's a very cool guitar. But they're also smart about their manufacturing. If you notice, like you get a satin finish, they do certain things that help kind of move the guitar along. But very cool guitar for the for the money for sure. Uh, David says, "I'll I'll watch the PRS Hollow Body Shootout. I'm always wondering if I should sell my core. Don't sell your core. See how that's why I said that's why it's tough to answer these questions. The question, the way you phrase the question, really tailors the answer to the. So here's why. If you say Phil, should I buy a PRS hollow body, 
Like I love my PRSSE, hollow body. That's what I'm saying. Let's say this is your question. So David, walk with me on this. You say, let's say you say I have a PRS hollow body SE import. Should I buy the core? Like in other words, should I in, invest in a more expensive USA core model to get a better guitar? I'm going to tell you, you're not going to get a much better guitar. Sound wise, in my opinion, this is all my opinion. I have both. If you say I have a core, should I sell it? No. Because to answer the question, I have to tell you why I have a core. I have a PRS hollow body core because although I just admitted earlier that I think the SE sounds better, not as good, but better, this guitar is getting more expensive every few years and they're making less of them. And... (laughs) They're probably either going to A, price them out of the market for most of us, or B, stop making them all together. That's my thoughts. So if you sell your hollow body core, uh, you'll be sorry because I, I would think of it like if the longer you hold on to it, the more your money you're going to get. And you'll never be able to buy one back again. Because... PRS, not me. PRS should make a video on how they make the hollow body core. It's crazy hard to make that guitar. Um, now, none of that translates to sound, obviously, because I think the SE sounds as good, or if not better. Uh, David also asked, uh, says, I decked the trim on my Strat, which dropped the action way low. Okay, so decked, he's using the term deck. That's the term we use. He means he locked down the springs and brought the bridge down to the body. So the, br- the bridge is on the body. We call that decking the trim for... Uh, for those of you that may not know that terminology, um, he said, I adjusted the saddles. No, no, no. He says, okay, the action's too low. So he wants to know what to do. So he says, adjust the saddles, or was raise the saddles, or raise the entire bridge somehow. Um, you answer simple raise the saddles as long as you're not putting the saddles like a rocket ship, <laughs> right? You don't want the saddles too hard because that brake angle gets a little too much more than I like it. I would raise the saddles. That's the easiest way to do it. Your only choices, if you don't do that, is to raise the bridge and then block it in the inside. Um, I would rather raise the saddles. I have a strat that's got a floating bridge. I have one that's decked. My decked bridge has just raised saddles. Um, So there you go. The other thing you have to keep in mind is that if you have a strat, sorry, Losing the voice now again. Um, if you have a strat and you raise the saddles and you also remember you have a micro tilt in your neck, so there's a little bit of adjustment there if you want to adjust. You have, you have a way to kind of change that angle. So be aware of that other extra option if you have that. Waterford Giant says, if I built a guitar room, okay, if you built a guitar room in your home, what would you, what would be must-haves and would it, I'm not really sure I understand the question. Okay, if I built a guitar room, I have a guitar room <laughs> in my home. What would, what, what would be the must-haves and and would be nice to have things that I'd put in it? So this is a horrible answer, considering you know you, you took the time to answer the, ask the question and put a super chat to it and stuff. But uh, I I have these things. I have a guitar room. This is my guitar room. And this is what would be in here. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me, but I'll maybe probably put some other thought into that. Um, I like having a, 
uh, the better question is this. If I didn't have a YouTube channel, would I have a wall of guitars? And the answer is no. <laughs> they would they would all be in a rack <laughs> in the corner, not spread out. This is uh, this is because otherwise it's either this or I just put some pictures up on the wall. I didn't know what to put behind me when I'm making YouTube videos. And like I said, I used to have this row and then the bottom row was amps and pedals. And um, and I built a rack from Ikea stuff for the amps and it just you know, worked out better for me and for the flow of the room. But if I built a guitar room, this is the guitar room I built. <laughs> it would be this way. And it wouldn't be any more than this. I already feel like this is obnoxious. There's 20, like I said, there's 20 guitars behind me. In this room, there's 20 guitars behind me and two over to my left and two over to my right. So it's enough damn guitars on the wall. Uh, and it's pretty cool. The one thing I will tell you, though, is that uh, in my my friends constantly chuckle about this when they meet viewers and they talk YouTube cameras mess everything up. Cameras make everything seem grander than they are. This room is small. This wall is small. It just looks big. <laughs> so everything looks big, but it's not. All right. On that note, we're going to call it. We did two hours. I think I did all the questions. Uh, and I'll try and I think I got just, a couple more and I'll, I'll nail them out. Uh, Bradley's got a question. He says, Hey, Phil, uh, there was a question. Love the channel. Okay. It says, uh, I have a PRS SE custom 24. What would you upgrade on it? Also, what pickups would you recommend? Uh, I play alternative and rock metal. So, uh, for the SE custom 24, I would upgrade the tuners go with, uh, either hip shots or, uh, uh, um, um, Ratio tuners, or you can get the PRS uh, tuners and pop in. All three of those are fine, and all of them will pop in without any with any problems or issues. Uh, that's just because I like to do st faster restrings because I hate restringing guitars. Locking tuners for me is because I hate restringing guitars. I restring guitars all day, so I literally wouldn't want to restring a guitar if I can help it. So if I can do it faster, it's better. Um, Pickup-wise, what would I put in the SE Custom? I would probably put PRS pickups in it. That's just probably what I would do because I would want my SE to sound like my core. I like my cores, so I like the way they sound. So I would put uh, either a set of metals or a set of 5708s in there. That's just my preference. So there you go. Um, but... trying to think of another suggestion thornbuckers would be great in those also uh i like the uh the uh the fortitude by dimargio and the paf the path by dimargio those are great and in the seymour duncan range if i was going to put pickups in it seymour duncan pickups in there i would probably put hmm probably it's gonna be horrible because some of you guys are gonna hate this but i'd probably put a, ja a jb and a jazz in there Chuck in music says, Hey Phil, I enjoy the playing. Do you, do you enjoy writing your own licks and songs more than playing cover songs? I do. Uh, I don't like playing cover songs. So that's why I don't play a whole lot of cover songs on the channel. Um, I do some, I noticed that when I play a cover song in a video, people tend to gravitate because they recognize that and they go, oh, okay, so now I know what this sounds like. Cause I hear a song when it's versus when I'm just playing stuff. Um, but I like to play my own stuff. It's just my own thing. Um, however, the downfall of this is on YouTube, I, I made the decision a long time ago and it had to do with, obviously, I, you know, in my store, I did it in the same way in the store. Uh, when you work in a music store and you demo guitar for a customer, you tend to demo what highlights that instrument, not what you like to play, right? Not everybody. Somebody has had that horrible 
sales guy is like, hey, I want to hear this strat through this blues junior. And then he picks it and he starts playing double tapping Iron Maiden riffs. And you're like, yeah, I don't, that's not the right sound for that. You know what I mean? But uh, in my world, I was like, okay, if it's a blues amp, let's play blues. If it's a rock amp, play rock. If it's metal, play metal. I try to do that on the YouTube channel. I play whatever I think the highlights the instrument correctly. So like uh, I played the, Re- the Revolt of the Day. I play some rock, you know, some blues, some clean. If I played, you know, the solar, I play metal. You know what I mean? Um, so I try to do it that way, but none of those reflect what I actually would play if it was just me. So that's one thing that's different about how I do things on my channel. Um, cause sometimes when I watch other channels, I, I go, Oh, that's just their, they play the stuff they like. That's their style. So everything becomes, uh, uh, you know, every product is demoed with the same style of music, same thing. It's their style where I'm kind of pushing, trying to push out of that, that, uh, push myself out of, doing that um what i can tell you and i take no offense to this by the way what i can tell you is there's a couple videos and obviously i've done 700 videos there's a couple videos where i've played my music not my music like songs i've written because i do that a lot too but like my style the thing i like and every time the comments are like that was really weird (laughs) and i'm like all right well i'm not here to really kind of sell you on my stuff i'm here to kind of show you the product that you're interested in. So I think I'll, I'll back out <laughs> and do the, the other stuff back, go back to the other stuff. Uh, Chuck in music says, Hey, Phil enjoy. Uh, oh no, sorry. And then this is the last question. Jimmy, Jimmy T five sixty eight says, what brands would you recommend to start a brick and mortar outside of the three obvious vendor Gibson PRS official dealer too much? Here's what I would tell you to do. If you're going to start a brick and mortar in today's day, because remember just because I had a brick and mortar store, doesn't mean the way I ran it is the way I think you should run it now. Okay. My store evolved and changed all the time because it had to, there is a time, there was a time where brands made retailers. You walk in a store, you see Gibson, you see Fender, you see PRS, you see music man, you see a real dealer. Now that's not how it works. If you want to be a dealer in today's world and survive, you need three things, unique product, profitable product and ever-changing product or you're dead that's it there's no uh, i mean there's no way other way to look at this okay i know i'm trying I, I like i said you guys know i hate the term i hate it when people talk in absolutes but this is something i don't want to be confused on what i think if i if i was going if you were going to open a store and you want my two cents uh, i would look at brands that are unique. When I mean unique, I mean unique and fun and exciting, not unique in like, yeah, no one carries them for a reason, <laughs> right? So just be, uh, just because, you know, like, oh, here's a brand no one's ever heard of. If, you know, that's cool that they never heard of it, but if no one wants it, that's bad. So you really want to find something that's unique. You need definitely profitable. So that definitely alienates all the major brands because all the major brands want to cut you in for the same deal. They're going to go, okay, you buy it for seven, and then you sell it for a thousand, and everyone else has this same thing you have for a thousand dollars everywhere on the internet and in every street corner that has a store. It's it's you're now competing with everyone on the planet for the same margin. It's a tough tough game. So you want to find that company is willing to give you 40, 50, 60 point margins, 50 being at least important, you know, double your money. Now, how do you do that? Well, one, you got to find brands that need you. That's important. 
Two, find used gear, right? That's what draws anybody in. And that brings me to the third one, which is ever-evolving, ever-changing inventory. Your inventory has to change. One of the things that you don't realize and most people don't realize is I, I did a lot of used, but I, I focused on a lot of new too. And because we focused on 60-40, 60% new to 40% used, new gear, if it doesn't sell, you have to, you have to, you have to kill it. It has to go. So, I mean, you buy it for seven, you try to sell for a thousand. Over time, it doesn't go, you go for eight. Doesn't sell, you got to go for seven. Doesn't sell, you go for six. Now you're losing money. You could say that's crazy, but it's not. You don't get very many opportunities to impress guitar players. They go into a store and they see some gear and they don't get impressed. They're not likely to come back. However, let's say they see some gear and they are impressed and they come back. But if they have the same gear you had last time, they're not coming back again. They're looking for something exciting and new and different. So that's what you have to do. Those are three things. And all those three things I suggest to you are definitely none of those three brands. <laughs> uh, Fender, Gibson, and uh, and uh, and PRS. I want to tell you this. Now, in my store, the reason why I say it was different, different business model is PRS was nice to us, the the brand, the company. They were nice uh, to, to us. In other words, you know, they worked within our means. When we tell them what we wanted, they were able to bend to that and do to that. Um, Gibson, we were a Gibson dealer. They were not. They were very regimented. Again, I don't tell anybody that they were wrong or right in this. I'm just, that's what they did. They had rules. Fender, however, had everything to do with our lesson academy. Um, the huge majority of the money that came from that business model you know, remember I've talked about this before. Repair was my business model. That was my money. But as the partnership uh, agreement, the main money came from those students. There was 240 to 280 students, depending on the time of the year, coming in every single week. Uh, and those students really uh, benefited from having a staple like Fender available. All those Squire guitars, pick around, Fender amps, Fender accessories, that stuff is very – and we were able to churn that stuff very quickly because of the fact that we were constantly getting new guitar players uh, for students, right? Every student come in, it's easy to give them. Fender products are a very easy thing to get a beginner to, to start with. It's a very good product line, good warranties, good price points. Uh, so, so there you go. That's my two cents on that. On that note, I'm going to let you guys go. I want to thank you so much for hanging out. It was a lot of you today. I had a lot of great questions. I really appreciate everything. Uh, if you haven't seen it, please enjoy the uh, the five things video today that's on the pedals. And then you can check out the pedal movie if you'd like. That's very cool. And, uh, on, and uh, on that note, I will see you guys not only next week, but there'll be videos between now and then. So try to enjoy those if you can. And thank you guys so much for supporting the channel in all the ways you do. Have a great weekend. And until next week, know your gear.